Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas y Caballeros. to another edition of Leaving a Ring Radio. I'm your host, Dave Duenas, with my co-host, Mr. Gabriel Montoya. Well, we had some pretty good fights this past weekend. First, we had Gary Russell against uh, Jojo Diaz back in Maryland. And, you know, in the beginning of the, the first, I would say, three rounds of that fight there, Gabriel, I thought that Jojo immediately figured out that Gary Russell was going to have a lot of ring rust because of the fact that he has not, he's not the most active guy in the business. And um, he, he starts putting the pressure on Gary Russell for his WBC strap in his hometown. And he starts working the body. And that third round was really significant for him. It was by, by far the biggest round for uh, Diaz because he, he cut the ring off beautiful. He started uh, making sure when he was in close, he let his hands go. He touched the body whenever they were up chest to chest. And he looked physically like the bigger, stronger of the two. What, went, what, what fell apart for this kid? What did you see that basically fell apart? Because I can tell you what I saw fall apart on him on that fourth and in the fifth round, um, which I thought that the fourth – you know, after seeing the third, I thought for sure the fourth, it, it almost looked like Gary had some some real digging to do in order to get himself out of this barrage of shots from, to the body that Diaz was landing. Well, you know, I think, you know, Gary came out there and established his jab right off the bat. And it was, you know, a multiple jab, uh, super fast, uh, very hard. And you could tell that that was going to be, if he was going to have rust, that was going to be the rust remover, that that was going to keep him in the fight. And he wanted to let Diaz know early on that he was a faster guy, uh, he, you know, uh, both of hand and foot, uh, and that he was also a technically sound, you know, uh, uh, high-level amateur turned pro. Um, I thought, you know, Diaz looked a little bit like he didn't quite know what to do with Gary in that first round. He started to punch with him a little bit, try to explore going to the body, kind of mapping out his territory. But it was, to me, uh, you know, when you're fighting Gary Russell and you're not the A side, um, as I I don't believe Diaz was in this fight, uh, you got to establish yourself right off the bat. And I thought it was more Russell that did that. Uh, But then you started to see Diaz dig to the body, second and third, he started to look like, okay, he's going to punch with him. Uh, that's going to how, how he's going to negate that speed. And he's going to, you know, really kind of go into, uh, um, into the crucible a little bit, kind of like a Diego Corrales. Like, look, I'm going to have to absorb some punishment coming in, but I'm going to get my pound of flesh. I'm going to dig to your body. So in the back end of this fight, I'm going to, you know, the guy that, that generally goes 12 rounds uh, has been active. It's going to favor me. Uh, but, but somewhere along the line, uh, you know, I think, Jojo stopped stopped uh, being as active, uh, and he stopped throwing his jab. 
he stopped using his jab to get in close, stopped really cutting off the ring to get in close. And uh, a lot of times spent, you know, spent too much time staring at Gary or getting hit by Gary and not responding back uh, quick enough. And uh, it just looked like, you know, and I think Jojo's a very good fighter. I think he's a, a, a top shelf guy that someday will pick up a title. Uh, but this seemed like two different, different classes of fighter here. Uh, and Gary is, is, I think, a little more special, has a, a, a lot more heart than people live, you know, out of sight. And, and the way Gary is, uh, you know, so often between, you know, a year between fights, people start sort of like Canelo's silence, start assigning a narrative to him that he's doing this because of this without actually talking to him. Um, and, and so I think they've assigned a lot of things. He's lazy or he's temperamental or he's this, he's not, his heart's not in the game. Uh, but I think when you watch him fight, uh, for me, anyways, all, all it did was make me go, man, I wish this guy fought more often because he would be arguably my favorite fighter, it, it, certainly at the top of that list. Um, and, and this fight, you know, it showed Gary Russell, even with a year off, uh, was better than Jojo Diaz, who's fighting often. Um, it's just the way the matchup worked out. It tells you uh, the, the talent of pool uh, that he has above Diaz, yeah. you know, fighting twice, uh, twice out of the year. Um, you know, on our Gmail, I'm trying to look for, uh, you know, I'm trying to find his name here, uh, but one of his questions, well, oh God, I wish I had his name here because I can't see the email. We have a lot right now, but uh, off the top of my head was after in the post interview with uh, Gary Russell, still trying to look for that email. So I want to give uh, whoever sent me this question here a shout out because it was a really good question. Um, the basic of the answer was, was um, to the question, I'm sorry, was, Hearing in the post fight with Gary Russell saying that, you know, they asked him, um, you know, are we going to see an immediate Gary Russell back into the ring? And he kind of gave that look like, no, um, really depends on how, how my body feels. So the question was, does this, is this starting to look like a trend or the, the narrative of the PBC fighters that they are using the excuse of not returning to the ring immediately because of, of, physical problems um when do we start calling them out on these these so-called health issues that we're not really getting um you know front row seat to 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 uh to really get a, a you know a verification that this is really going on with these guys are you there gabriel uh, well, I think, you know, people tend to, to – I've noticed this on Twitter, that if they don't get the answer they want, then people kind of – and I'm not saying that necessarily this emailer is doing that, but that people kind of fill in the blanks with their feelings or their suspicions. I mean, look at the whole Canelo thing, how, oh, he's not going to do the hair test, or he's not going to take a tough fight, or, oh, my God, he's got to be cheating because, you know, he hasn't enrolled, enrolled in Nevada. And then when things don't go along that narrative, people, you know, oh, well, it doesn't matter. He'll always be dirty, even though he's in a 360 boxing, you know, uh, testing program. And here with Gary, you know, I interviewed Gary at the beginning of his career, and we talked about his injuries. He had injuries early on. I was surprised that they mentioned it again here. But, you know, I described it, uh, and he agreed with this, uh, that it was kind of like, you know, you see college players sometimes come out of basketball or football. They get to the pro game. And it's a lot more rigorous. The training's a lot harder. Everybody's uh, bigger, stronger, and and they take injuries those first few years. It's like you're kind of getting used to it, and then your body levels out. And Gary said he he had that period in the beginning, and then as he fought more often, it leveled out. But 
now that he's not fighting more often and we're hearing, you know, maybe he's getting injured again. I always tend to think that the longer you're out, that that's where the injuries come is that you're not quite uh, battle ready. You know, that you're not battle ready. Li- you're not immune to it. I mean, but look at the list yeah. of guys. Let's, let's think of the list of the guys that, that have used, you know, uh, physical injuries of keeping them out of the ring. Keith Thurman. Um, Danny Garcia's used it. Uh, Gary Russell. I believe uh, Anadonna Stevenson has used it. And uh, who else? Who else is out there that's used that kind of an excuse of uh, not getting back in the ring? The guys that seemed to, that were kind of the war horses of the PVC or the guys that are not, that doesn't really get that full embrace from the fans or, or from media. Like uh, when Robert, Gar- Robert Guerrero was fighting, you know, he was a guy that was willing to fight any time, uh, no matter what. Uh, Sean Porter, another guy who I think is starting to get some clout in terms that fans are seeing that this guy's a real road warrior, is willing to step in and fight anybody. Uh, so, I mean, the, the reader I and mean, the listener, I think he's, he's on to something, but like, like, like he said, you know, um, can't call it if it's truth or not, but we're not really behind the scenes to see that. When do we get to, as fans or, or as the spectators, when do we really get to really see that these are actual facts of injuries? Well, I mean, Keith Thurman, well, at some point, you know, we're not actually entitled to see that stuff. They're not politicians. They're boxers. So if they don't want to show me their medical reports, that's up to them. You know, if it's a drug testing thing, that's, that's a whole other thing. But even then, uh, you know, th- those things only come out if, an, a, you know, a journalist is able to obtain those things. But because of HIPAA laws, they don't have to show us those things. And uh, that's what I mean. People... They have so much hatred for Al Heyman and anything that he does and anyone that's associated with him that they carry it over. I mean, look how much Lou DiBella gets kicked in the teeth. This guy that brought us, you know, Gotti Ward. And people just kick that guy in the teeth without really knowing how his business actually works, you know, um, and, and calling him a liar without actually catching him in the lies. Um, so I, I'm loath to sit there and go, Keith Thurman's full of shit. Keith's never lied to me. Uh, you know, Gary Russell never lied to me. I've never caught him saying t- something to me that turned out to not be true. So I'm not going to take how I feel about Al Heyman running his business and how it relates to boxing and then kind of bleed that over into, oh, these PBC fighters must be, must be full of shit. To me, the common denominator is those guys don't fight that often and they get injured. Maybe those two things are related. You know, those two things could be very much related. If you're not active and you're stepping in the ring and, you know, you're uh, letting your body kind of uh, soften up and then you're getting in the gym and you're pushing yourself to meet a date and to be in the top, you know, tip shape of your life. That's a lot of a lot of strain, a lot of stress. Yeah. Where versus a guy like uh, Lomachenko or Triple G, uh, guys like that, that are always consistently in the gym. They're gym rats, you know. Um, but moving on with Jojo Diaz, I mean, here, this is what I saw from him. On that third round, he had such great success. There's been some cases where if a guy drops a guy, that's it. The fight is over in their head. To me, it looked like Jojo Diaz, the fight was over in his head after the third round. He just didn't have anything more else to, you know, uh, to bring to the table. And Russell showing that he's he's an all-rounded fighter was able to adjust able to see what was coming uh, what what was coming at him and what got him in trouble 
and was able to dictate after that fourth round and make it at a pace that was in favor to him. That showed uh, true maturity. To me, that showed, you know, Russell uh, is a thinking fighter because easily he could have fallen apart being inactive the way he's been and, and, and his body betraying him the way he's, he has said. He could have fallen apart physically, rolling down mentally, and he didn't. He overcame it. He overcame a kid that was younger, looked a lot stronger, a lot bigger, and certainly came to put the pressure on and go to the body. And Gary in that third round for a moment, I got to admit, I thought he was going to fold over and that was going to be the end of it. But he came back like a true champion. He did exactly what true champions, uh, you know, do. They adjust. They adjust what's in front of them and they, they, they turned the fight around in their favor. And that's what he did. And it was a great fight for him. After that, Jojo Diaz was just there. It almost seemed like uh, he was kind of like uh, in the dark, lost in the woods kind of felt bad as even his trainer didn't really have much to say to him um there was no adjustment there was no nothing there to to david led to me that that he couldn't follow instructions because there was nothing being said to him to adjust so hopefully i think the thing with uh uh joseph diaz this is what i think about joseph diaz still very young still has a lot to learn Go back yes. to the table, the drawing board. Watch this. Watch this fight over a hundred times. And a lot, a lot of times, what I've seen in, in in fight camps is that they put the total blame on the trainer. I'm not necessarily want to to do that right away because I also think it's a learning curve for the trainer themselves as well to go back and kind of evaluate what they did wrong that night. Because a lot of times we put all the judgment on the fighter, but never on the trainer. Or, or right away we put all the judgment on the trainer. And we don't seem to see or, or admit that trainers freeze up as well. There is a shell shock to trainers sometimes. When they see their kid in the gym looking so good and sharp and doing the things that he was, he's been told to do, then all of a sudden not able to perform on fight night, man, that's a major blow to the chest. It will get you winded. So I'm curious of how the yeah. team works, goes back, right? Goes back, look at it, and hopefully comes back bigger and stronger. Um, it's going to take a while, and I think Golden Boy understands that. Kudos to Golden Boy, first off. I know a lot of bagging on them. Go, oh, you know, I'll bet you uh, they're laughing at them. But I'm like, why? They gave us a good fight. That's uh, that's, yeah, it just makes do. no sense. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. And at some point, you got to believe in your guy. I mean, boxing fans, are they're just kind of schizophrenic. They get mad at stupid. How do you sit there and criticize? This is the thing that gets to me. You bitch when promoters don't want to put their fighters in there right? with the best. Then you bitch when he did and he loses. Then you start telling the promoter you're an idiot. Oh, you're an idiot. Uh-huh. Look at you. How do you feel now? I love Oscar, Oscar's response to a lot of these guys. Is like, I feel great. I gave you guys a good fight. You know, Lenaris, uh fought his ass off. Possibly fight of the year in a lot of people's. You know, it's a candidate for fight of the year. People still want to see Lenaris. People still want to see Joseph, Jojo Diaz. It wasn't at the tail end of his career. It was the beginning of his career. So he's you not know, off the uh, track at all. Uh-huh. Right. And it's – and people – they also – boxing fans are like, they, they don't do it like they used to. 
you know, these guys have added records. Well, this would be, you know, a 1950s <laughs> guy, right? Losing right. early on say, in his career. Half those guys that are saying this were still in their daddy's nuts. What are they talking about? <laughs> yeah, for one. For one. Uh, for two, you know, like, yeah, if this was, you know, 50s and back, maybe even 60s and back, uh, uh, this could be, I mean, shit, even in the 70s, like James Tony has a shit ton of fights. Uh, he's one of the last of those guys, uh, that, like near 100 fights or whatever. Um, but this would be the first quarter of a career. This would be a good, solid professional loss. Your first shot at the title, you lost, but you made a good account of yourself. Maybe picked up some new fans. Definitely. I think the way Jojo approaches the game, uh, the, the kind of team he has around him, um, I, I just think that, that he will learn from this. I mean, even his quote after the fight, you know, was, you know, this will make me a hungrier fighter. I hope I get the respect of a lot of fight fans. I've wanted to become champion against the best featherweight in the world. Tonight wasn't my night, but I'm going to bounce back harder and be a champion soon. Didn't blame anybody. It's all on him, you know, and I'm going to learn that this is the process. Um, I think, you know, he will be back. He'll pick up a title. There's, there's four titles. I'm sure he'll figure it out. On the same but, you know, night. Golden Boy, uh, I just, yeah, I just want to, well, we'll get we'll get back to it. We'll circle around to this uh, this schizophrenia of boxing fans uh, with, with another big story from last week. But yeah, let's let's hit that other fight. Sorry. Yeah, on the on the doubleheader of the Showtime telecast uh, in Canada, Central uh, Toronto, um, you had a uh, Badu Jack versus Adonis Stevenson, and uh, here is a fight that for six rounds. Man, you could have went and cleaned up your cleaned up your whole house, do the lawn, do uh, cut the grass in the front yard, <laughs> pull out the weeds in the backyard, barbecue, go pick up the kids from the from 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 the park, come back, you know, take a quick shower, come out, comb your hair, blow dry your hair, whatever you do, sit down, and the action finally started on the sixth round. What a terrible intro of of fifteen minutes of fight between the two both guys they literally walked in in the first round filling each other out all the way to the sixth round then all of a sudden they woke up and they seemed to wake up the crowd i mean you know granted canada was being very generous for four for one and six rounds they were they were cheering and if anything that happened <laughs> anybody blinking they started to cheer but I, I got to tell you, I was almost close to just turning it off and, and, and kind of logging on to the, to the Internet and start watching uh, Seinfeld on uh, Hulu. Yeah, I was I had somewhere to be, man. I, I had a, like a big party that was waiting for me to get there. And I was meeting with a, up with a buddy of mine and yeah, like all dressed up and like and I'm like, I'm definitely going to watch this first fight live. I've got to see this fight and loved it. It was all hype. was bummed for, for Diaz. But it was a good fight. Uh, and I'm like, ah, I'll watch this one. It's probably not going to be that long. It's got to be a knockout. And yeah, man, torture. It was just like, you know, just, it was like a microcosm of uh, Donna Stevenson's career, like a lot of inactivity followed by, you know, some action. Uh, I thought the fight was there for, for either guy and neither guy dared to be great. Neither. I, I think Stevenson, definitely the, the rust shows the inactivity, you know, I mean, we think of like, you know, Tyson, how mythical his, his ascension to the title is and, you know, him being the youngest heavyweight champion and just seemed like he was fighting like every 10 minutes, 
you know, those first few years. And because of that, it was like you saw him often kicking people's asses. That's how you build momentum as a fighter and become a star, get to that pay-per-view level. Although, you know, I want to talk about that later, and we will with, uh, you know, the, as we get into the Schaefer quotes. Um, but this once-a-year thing, like, it, it just doesn't make for inspiring performances, I think is my big takeaway from Saturday night. You know, you know, Russell I mean, was good, but I just kept thinking, how much better would he be? And Stevenson, I'm like, somebody would have maybe stopped him. Or, but what is this career doing? But it's like it's it's like a throwback to like you know the the days of like John L. Sullivan or something when they, you know, would take like a long time off between fights. You know, after he was done like barnstorming the country. Uh, you know, I, I just don't get it. Well, you know, here's what I don't get: is Stevenson acts like he's a guy that can stay away from the ring, and when he comes back. It, he feels like he's almost like a Floyd Mayweather event, you know, where all the stars and everybody's going to come out to watch him. That's what I don't get. Here's another thing what I don't get. Six rounds of no activity. Six rounds of no one really trying to, you know, set something up or take, take the lead in the dance. My then goodness. After the, then after the six rounds, you have six rounds of action, and both men are, are, are tired. Both men are gassed out. Holy shit. You imagine if they fought 12 rounds? <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, well, I think that's what they're thinking, you know. <laughs> right. I, I, it's just, I, uh, I don't get that. To me, to me, the younger guy, Jack, Badu Jack, I think he left it all on the table. I think it's rightful. It, it, I think it's 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 rightful for fancy to kind of bag on him a bit because of the fact that he's a younger guy, he really didn't try to go out there and see if the forty-year-old plus. Um, could hang with the more active activity because he's been out of the ring for so long. The way the way Jojo Diaz uh, decided to come out against Russell is the way Jack should have came out. He should have pressed. He should have found out um, is there enough for him to fight every second, every minute, and every round in a twelve round championship in Canada. He didn't do that. What he did was he stayed away. He stayed away. And guess what he did again? He stayed away. He stayed away. <laughs> yeah, one guy did little, the other guy did less. For a it, moment, uh, I thought, you know what? For a moment, I thought he was going to give him a Hallmark card and a hug and say, hey, man, I'll see you soon. It was that bad. And, and, and you know what? And I, like I said, I'm sitting there and I go, these guys, on the, tenth, on the ninth and tenth round, I'm like, these guys are gassed out. These guys have spot maybe six and nine hard rounds, and they're gassed out. How can this be? These are professional fighters. You know, they should have had a lot more energy because they didn't fight for six rounds in the beginning. There was nothing for 15 minutes. That was horrendous. That's, that was shameful. So a draw for me was perfectly, I was perfectly fine with it. And Stevenson's saying, both of the guys are saying they want a rematch, but now Stevenson's saying he wants Tony Bello. You know, which is, to me, that's very feasible because Bello's with the PVC. Uh, um, so that could possibly happen But I tell you what The reason why nobody else and I, know, I, know, I don't know if you even noticed this But in the post-interview Not Koval, uh, not, not uh, uh, Sergey Kovalev's name was brought up Nobody's name was brought up Nobody outside the PBC world was brought up At the post-interview The only name that was brought up was Jack Badu Jack You want a rematch well, that you know, tells you where their head's at. That tells you exactly where they're going to stay. That's it. 
There's no, there's, to me, there's no sense of talking about anybody else stepping in the ring with, uh, uh, with uh, Stevenson at all, unless it gets in with Tony, who he, uh, who he knocked out, and who is now uh, Tony Bellow's uh, campaigning as a heavyweight, but did call out Andre Ward. So, yeah, that, does that, that fight make it interesting? I don't know. What do you think? No, I mean, I, I, I think right now, yeah, Bailey Ward is, is the fight, and, and no, it's not interesting. Uh, but, uh, you know, Badu Jack blaming, you know, the, the, the judge's possible dislike of Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> Floyd Mayweather I was right. just like, come on, man. You know, this is a, you're the only guy in the ring besides the ref and the other guy. It's on you. You had your big moment. You, you, he must have tasted something early or, or you know, he just, it just uh, maybe it was a fat camp for both guys. You know, I mean, we know Stevenson's out a year, right? So he's dealing with rust and age. Uh, and he wasn't exactly captain active when he was fighting, you know, before. Like, he's not – he has these huge knockouts, but there's also a lot of periods where he is just moving around and kind of, you know, waiting. Um, I, I thought Badu Jack would let his hands go. I thought he would be the younger man uh, kind of insisting on some action. Right. And, and I, I came up snake eyes and, and kind of late to the party. Uh, you know, it was fine, but, uh, you know, I could have gotten there an hour before and, and watched that shit. Uh, you know, oh, that, some was, other that way. was great, though. It was terrible. That was, that was great for – you know, uh, a snippet, an audio snippet when he said, uh, you know, I, just, I don't think the judges, uh, you know, this happened to me again. I don't, I don't, I think the judges don't like Floyd Mayweather. And then it was crickets immediately after that. It was just like, everyone was just kind of trying to digest that and, you know, process well, and, and the way, like, huh. the way he, he, uh, you know, pushed the issue at the end of the fight. I'm like, where was that guy? You know, right. Like, yeah, I don't understand. Like, I guess you're sprinting now, but, like, why can't you? It's why I liked James Kirkland so much. You know, for the first time I saw him, uh, to the last, really, you know, uh, he, he at least went for it uh, in this, like, total abandon. And when he was in great shape, kind of like Tyson in his prime, when he's in great shape, it's just, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't be stopped. That's exciting to me. This shit, how do you get to a title shot? You're, you're tired in the sixth round, and you haven't done anything in six rounds. It just you made you no have sense. an uncle that has a lot of money. Well, it makes it. me think, you know, like you said, like, like nobody calling anyone out, uh, everybody fine with inactivity. And you're kind of looking at the quality of the fights going down because of that, I think, uh, and the injuries possibly going up. Um, you know, you got to figure some shit out. Right. And, but, but what it tells me is that, that somebody has explained something to, to, to everyone. And I'm not, you know, I'm trying not to do what, I was talking about earlier in the show is just kind of making leaps into the, the space of silence, you know, uh, that, that is Al Heyman silence to the media. But, uh, you know, the longer we see the PBC and how it's worked out, people must be getting either regular salaries or a little bit more off the books from what we're seeing. And they're fine. Like, you know, post fight. Uh, well, I know that I'm probably not going to have a fight coming up soon uh, unless they've got a mandatory for me. Um, I just made a shit ton of money. I'm going to Disneyland. That's all any of these guys are thinking. So, you know, it's hard to – I don't really know what they were trying to accomplish as a league. I, I think you've uh, hit it probably more spot on than anybody that they were always just trying to build up a product to sell it. Uh, and now we're kind of seeing that as DAZN shows up, uh, you know, Eddie Hearn. Uh, he's talking to the PBC fighters who were using kind of these front, you know, event-only promoters, not actual fighter promoters, um, and having Al Heyman in the background. But, you know, maybe you were right. And, and the PBC hasn't sold it. They're not going to. 
uh, and they're just kind of playing out the string, and, and here comes the new, uh, the next guy to fund them. You know, it's interesting when I see the, the tweets and, and, you know, uh, Adrian Broner put it on his Instagram and, <clears throat> you know, Eddie Hearns, I know folks are, are thinking that Eddie's being kind of aggressive by saying who he'd like to sign. But at the same time, I, I think, in my opinion, just kind of watching it and seeing that, you know, here's the thing. There's a little bit more in my opinion, when you see a guy leak out a little bit of information, two ways, okay? We see this with politics. We see this in the corporations. Things are are let out for reasons. One could either be because it really did get leaked out, and they were like, it was like an oops, oh shit moment. Or the other one is, let's release a little bit of this and, and kind of direct what we want people to start looking at. Eddie Hearns, to me, just like Al Heyman, I've always said Al Heyman, to me, is a great business businessman. He, he's not um, – I never believed it for him to be a boxing guy. I don't think he ever looked at boxing as the sport. He's looked at it as an entertainment business that could be taken advantage of. Why? Because it's been taken advantage of for over 100 years. It is a fractured sport that doesn't want to be healed. There is no hospital. There is no doctor in the room for boxing because boxing is too arrogant to accept any help. But Eddie Hearns, to me, is a guy that knows what he's doing and knows how to direct where he wants to go. You don't get where you're at by being dumb. So I'm glad that there's a few other people that I saw. I Kurt, who's a lawyer. Um, threw this out there on his Twitter because he was spot on in what I was thinking, which is maybe the route is not to, you know, uh, sign the fighters. Maybe the route is to pick up promoters the way Al Heyman did. You know, he's used, he used certain promoters. He used Warriors. He used Lou DiBella. He used uh, um, Star Boxing. Who's to say that Eddie can't do that? He's got a, he's got a billion dollars. Who's to say that Eddie can't just go, hey, I got this platform, this huge platform. I'll tell you what, I'll give you an X amount of money because I'm going to need X amount of fighters and I'm going to need X amount of good fights to happen. If you didn't listen to last week's uh, aficionados um, with with Evan Rukowski's uh, uh, podcast, you got to go back. I don't know if you listened to that that, that segment last, uh, last week there, Gabriel. Um, but when he talked about the, the ESPN Plus and the UFC deal, there's something very telling that he mentions. One is that the networks and, and promoters, when, they, when they're in bed with each other and the numbers come back, you know, the norm is that the promoter or even the network themselves, because the network doesn't have the they're, – they're, they don't have the access to seeing the viewerships or, or the subscribers. The, the, it's it's going to be the cable, right? By going to the ESPN Plus – there's, they're indirect now. They get to see who's on the platform. And if you look at that, that is a good thing for boxing. I know folks are not liking that. You got to pay $5 here. You got to pay $5 there. But if you look at it like this, see, HBO really wasn't able to see everything because they had to wait for the cable, cable network to come back and kind of show them all the numbers. Okay. Um, 
So I think it's fair to say the numbers weren't always true. Here, ESPN is actually able to see exactly what's selling and what isn't selling. So if a promoter knows that, and, and, and he knows that, the, that ESPN can now see something visually and have a judgment on it and being able to go back and to the negotiating table, the top rank, or let's say now with Eddie Hearns, and say, hey, listen, um, nobody's tuning into this ex-fighter and this ex-fighter. Nobody's tuning into Keith Thurman fighting uh, a taxi driver. Driver, you know what are we doing here? I can't be giving you money, money, and money, and money over and over if the numbers, if the people are not coming through, the people are not showing up. So I'm keeping an eye on the board for uh, Sean Giddens. So uh, I'm also sending him a message. I think it's a, a a great a great way for now for boxing to have uh, um, accountability for promoters, boxing promoters to have accountability when they, when they try to set up, set up a matchup. You know, so going back with Eddie Hearns, I think he has that understanding, and if he doesn't, he's soon going to find out because it's not complete $1, $1 billion the check has been written out. It's, it's a tri-period. I think they're giving it, what, two years, if I read that correctly? Could be wrong, but I think it was two years. It's the tri-period of, of them establishing something on a new platform. Eddie Hearn. Why do you keep saying yeah. that? Eddie Hearn. <laughs> well, because yeah. Tommy Hearns is so in our... Yeah, Tommy, I know. Eddie Hearn. Uh, um, yeah, I, you know, I would actually like to get Evan on to, to, to break down the whole deal, you know? Uh, TDs is my game. Uh, TV ratings, TV deals, I, I, I want to leave uh, to Evan, who's doing a... I, I love his show, Fistianatos. He, he really... Uh, just he calls it nerding out, but I'm like, you're educating people. You're, you're making us smarter. Um, I definitely, you know, Great I, I want to get. I mean, I, I got to tell you, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll be honest, because I, I get some people that throw our emails, telling me, oh, it's, uh, you know, I can't get into it because it's just too much. And you know what? It is. His segments, honestly, are segments you got to listen to three to four times. I'm not gonna lie to you. There is so much he dishes out. There's so much information that is really valuable. If you really want to understand the network and the, t- and the TV deals and, and the contracts and the numbers, he's giving you a free seminar that somebody else would charge or just honestly a service that people you know, charge for. They don't give away easily or freely the way he's doing it, especially last week's show. Wow. Great stuff. Okay, we're just waiting for uh, – Next one's dropping tomorrow, right? Yeah. I haven't had a chance. I, I got it already, so I got to um, just uh, edit it and upload it and then um, get them on, and then get it out there. Should be, uh, it should be out uh, first thing Friday morning. All right, then. Right I'm, around uh... the same time when we got um, In The Way, Spite happening. So – is there a what's his prefix? I don't know. Oh, it's gonna be uh, here. I, I do. I do know. I have to look at it. You're talking about Gibbons, right? Yes. See, I thought you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. You lost. Still shaking off rust. You lost. Yeah. I know. 
619. He is not there yet. So Let's get into the uh well this is you know, I'll just tie it back while we're we're filibustering to this you know, Triple G announced that he'll be doing a, uh, a, a an extended VADA program through September 15th, which is a you know the proposed uh, date of the rematch. We're we're, we're led to, to believe uh, be the next possible date that Canelo could could fight. Um, Canelo announced that he would be doing VADA testing, 365 testing, um, and I, I believe then after that he's also joining the clean boxing program uh, with the WBC through VADA. Uh, it's like two separate things, uh, which leads me to ask one, what's the difference? If I thought CBP, does that just mean you're eligible to be tested? Uh, so how many people are being tested? As we asked Tom Loeffler last week and we didn't get a number, uh, you know, it, it all Triple G's travels all over the world. How often has he been tested? Uh, I haven't got an answer to that question yet. Um, but my question was also, why, why didn't Triple G just sign up? if it's different than the clean boxing program and more stringent, and that's what he wants. And since he just got burned for like $30 million or however much he would have made in the rematch, had Canelo not uh, eaten contaminated beef uh, as his, you know, per his story, uh, you know, you would think he would want to go year round. And, and, uh, and I asked that and people, I had people kind of upset about it. Uh, Why was I asking that triple G hasn't tested positive. So it doesn't matter. Uh, and this is what I'm talking about, the, the kind of maybe it's the amnesia of boxing fans. When we first started talking about drugs in boxing, it was like, and I came on this show. There he is. Six, it was like spring of 2010. Oh. Uh, and we talked about 365. Well, we'll, oh, and then he just dropped off. Um, you know, back then I was saying, we both were saying, like, it's got to be 365, right? And, and then as we moved along and, and Floyd was doing training camp testing for only his fights, um, I asked him, are you going to do like the gold standard, like, you know, Olympic testing and, and go year round? And he said, if they have a platinum program, I'll do that. And him and never really laughed and didn't answer my question. And then, uh, you know, but as we moved along, like Steve would say this on the next round, if you're not doing VADA testing year round, you're a suspect. And it's just, I think that that's fair to say is what Steve would say. Uh, and I agreed with him. Um, but here, all of a sudden, it, the rules seem to be different. Uh, it doesn't matter that Canelo has been doing training camp testing this whole time for, for most people now that he got popped, but when he, you know, he didn't have to do the year round testing, you know, I think people want like the victory or something that they forced him into it, but, uh, Oh, there he is. There's Sean. Um, it just, it just seems strange to me that people are, I guess, so punitive about it that they've got to rub Canelo's nose in it. Uh, hmm. But here we are. Uh, Dave, do you want to do the introduction? Yeah, Sean, are you there? Yes, sir. Me and Woody are here loud and clear. Looking forward to uh, speaking to hopefully some fans. Hopefully someone tunes in and listen to me. <laughs> they, may run, they may run off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how come I always – let me ask you this. How come I always picture you, like, dashing into a room and, and it's just screaming, Viva Mexico, and then running right back out and getting on Twitter and then running to another room, man? <laughs> I just see, like, you have a lot you know, of energy. You know, and that's kind of like that's kind of like it is. You know, it depends. I got my Mexican room, my Filipino room. I got, uh, you know, it depends what, what what guys are with me. But uh, you know, when you do this type of work, what's not to just smile and be happy and energetic and fun? You know, until uh, until some boxing commission gets in the way and kind of gives you a headache. But other than that, 
it's all good. <laughs> you, and by, by that, by this work, you mean you know helping fighters get to titles and and become world champions like that, like people living their dream. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I'm I'm able to take you know I do a lot of work in the lower weights, a lot of stuff people really don't see, but I make dreams happen at 105, 108, 112, 115. Um, Jerwin and Cajas, who is a, is a prime example of that. Mark Anthony Bariga, 105 pounder, who's number one in the world. Um, you know, I'm just lucky to work with great Filipino guys and Mexicans in the smaller weight that doesn't always get the, the biggest, you know, people seeing it. But to them, it's just important for these little guys to get these world titles as the other guys. And I'm happy to be able to, uh, to help facilitate that. Let me ask you this. Because I've always been curious. I mean, Gabriel were talking about this off the air before you came on. Um, how, did, how did you get involved in this? I mean, how does a gringo get the trust of these the, of the Mexicanos? Like, how did you how did you pull that off? Because being Mexican myself, I know it's really hard for an outsider to step into in, kind of into our world and get our trust. But it seems like. Every Mexican fighter, or even the, like Zamper promoters, they they love you. Like, how did you how did you win them over with that? Yep, it's real simple. When uh, when they see what you can do, and they see fighters like Orlando Salido have a twenty twenty one year career, fight for many world titles, go through a lot of ups and downs. Um, you know, Viva Julio for good, bad, or ugly, uh, they see that. But um, you know, they just see the the work, and they see what happens when you're able to maneuver them and do the right things. And um, how do I say? They just, they just, uh, you know, they know a good person that gets things done. They, uh, they know how to hire a good mechanic like myself who can work uh, all aspects of uh, ratings, uh, moving them the right opponents. You know, it's like it's like Julio Cesar Chavez with his career. You know, a lot of people knock him today, but but if you look at the fight before Sergio Martinez, the guy actually had a pretty good, tremendous career, won a WBC World Title. So by having a lot of success working with other Hispanics. Um, it kind of, you know, it, it kind of gets other guys coming your way a lot. And um, like I said, I just work hard for these guys. I, I fight for them if something's injustice. So they know that I'm out there working for them. Even though I don't speak their language, we speak the same language when it comes to boxing. What do you look for in a fighter? Um, you know, I guess, you know, for, first thing you look for a guy that, uh, well, um, how would I say a guy that's got some real skills in the fight. Because if he doesn't, you can still have fun with him. But I look for guys as a guy has a good chin. Because you can't teach a chin. You either have a chin or you don't. Um, hmm. You either have heart or you don't. So, you know, along the way, you, you look for those uh, attributes in a guy. And uh, you look for a guy that's willing, wants to train hard, just wants to work. You know, guys like Jaime Mangia, they came up in boxing. His father was a fighter. The guy was born to be a fighter. And... Um, you know, you just look to help guys like that by matching them appropriately because you can ruin a fighter if early in his career you make the wrong decision as a matchmaker. You can destroy someone. So you really got to be careful because you're controlling someone's destiny. But I tell guys, there's a certain point that you have to get better than your matchmaker. So, you know, with, with, with the fighters you look at, you like a lot of guys, you just look for a, a good talent, guy with the chin, heart, and is just looking to, uh, to, to work hard at uh, his trade. What is what is the deal with with Jaime? Because I know that he's with Zamper, right? And I heard that he has, yes. still has what a one fight option with Golden Boy. Is that something you guys are going to follow through with, or no? You know what? We are people of our word, which is very difficult to find in this business today. 
I, uh, I just saw some other Mexican. I can't think of his name, uh, David Benavides, but um, uh, other guys <laughs> that don't show loyalty. They don't show, you know, Hilberto Ramirez, guys like that. I did, you know, I did so much for certain guys, but, but that's a whole other story. But so the point is, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there's a contract or not, someone says you have an option, we're going to work the next fight. Um, HBO has a first and last on something. We're not looking to all of a sudden go running for the highest bidder. We're going to do what we have to do. And when that's up, well, then, you know, then it's open season to see what the best deal is. But I've always been a person that very simply, I live by my word. And that's why I've been able to do boxing for over 30 years. I'm able to work pretty much with everybody and anybody. Um, so, you know, that, that's what we're doing with Mongia. Once he's done, basically has to fight Liam Smith, looking at a July date on HBO, which I think that type of style complements him. It's going to be just balls to the wall like he did with uh, Saddam Ali, but a little bigger guy, a little, um, little more sturdy, but just a fun, fun fight. You know, Mar- uh, Mongia is like, uh, he's like Antonio Margarito, but with a little more athleticism and, and uh, just a little quicker and uh, a little fresher, younger, but he could be a really, really exciting fighter matched the right way. John, you know, bringing up Antonio Margarito, and I know you're, you're pretty active on Twitter, and, I, and, and you, you interact with the, with the fans pretty often, and I know you've seen this. There's another fighter out there that people are calling, you know, the son of Antonio Margarito, and he's an African-American kid, Jared Hurd. A, a lot of us, including yeah. myself, what do you got? What do you think of that fight? What do you think of that fight after Smith? I mean, is that something that's possible? Could that happen? You, you know what? I fell in love with Jared Hurd. I got to sit ringside. I was very honored to sit ringside for him and Laura at the Hard Rock. I'd never really watched the guy. And what a fun guy, man. That dude just pours it all out. Balls to the wall, lets it all hang out. One of my favorite fighters. I would buy a ticket any day of the year to see him. Um, a fight like that, I would like, you know, Jaime, give him, give him a little more breathing room. Give him a little love. Give him a little, let, let him enjoy the moment for a second because, you know, fights like we're fight that fans. are just. We're fight fans, Sean. We don't like that. We don't like giving anybody breathing room, man. We like to suffocate I, our fighters. You know that. Come I, on. I hear you. I like, I like, I like <laughs> to see my, my guy get a, free, a couple freebies, and then we work our way down. Like, Jerwin and Cajas, his, his, you know, where we're headed for, we're, we're just, you know, biding our time. We hope to see the winner of Juan Estrada and Rungbasai. That's the type of fights we want. And people are like, well, you're fighting. Uh, we had to fight Jonas because that's a mandatory. Next guy we fight or the next guy. Why aren't you fighting Yalife or fighting this guy? Because we want to make the best fight for the fans, too, sometimes. So, you know, maybe it's not always the fight they want to see, so, but eventually, in a couple, you'll, you'll, you'll get to the fight you want. It'll, it'll be there. And Jaime, right, he's right. 21 but, years but, old. But hold on. Hold so, on hold, real quick, though, because you said yeah. let them have a couple of freebies, right? But are you telling me you weren't okay if they would accept it? The, if, if, if the commission would have accepted your guy to step in with Triple G on that pick of the mile date, you weren't okay with that, or you were okay with it? No, we were going for it. It was an opportunity. We were going for it because, you know what? You lose to Triple G, you just lost to the best fighter in the world. So you can always <laughs> okay. build yourself back up. Right. You know. Agreed. But, but you know what? But you know what, Mr. Bob Bennett, if you're out there, baby, hope you're listening because it's a great show. You did him a favor, you know. You did him a favor because you just you he, he the financially he's going to make much more than he would have for the Triple G fight in two or three fights. He's got I a agree. whole life, a whole career, whatever. And maybe maybe he wasn't ready, but he was approvable. That's the bottom line. He was approvable to fight Triple G. He might have 
you know, rolled it out for three, four, five rounds and been overwhelmed, Triple G, maybe he wouldn't have been. But what's absurd is the commission not approving him. That's, that's what the absurdity. But things happen for reasons. So, Bob, you know, when we defend this belt seven, eight, nine times, we want to thank the Nevada Commission, Mr. Bob Bennett, for uh, all your help and, you know, and what you can ever do for us, brother. So maybe he knows more than Bob's me. Bob's got to be good enough. matching for 30, but, but Mr. Bennett's done a lot of fights himself, so maybe he knows more than me on that situation. So, you know, we just I, – I hope maybe we'll get to know in a few fights if, uh, if Triple G's still there and fight timey. That could definitely come together because – who knows if him and Canelo ever happens with all the posturing and the nonsense and now the other, you know, BS going on. So hurting him or to me is the fight that needs to be made at 154. Couple of fights, but your guy have a couple of fights, but that fight down the road to me is the mega fight that with I think by next year, mid next year maybe. You know, I think fans are gonna yeah. be really pounding the table to see that fight happen if your guy continues to win. Especially how and and if he comes out spectacular after the uh, Liam Smith fight, if he looks like the bold uh, the bulldozer that he looked against Ali, fans are going to automatically going to say we got to see hurting him go at it. Margarito is Margarito, right? But but you know, as crazy as things are, if he looks so good that fight, maybe one more, maybe Triple G is there in the beginning of 2019 in May for him. So heard Triple G boxing changes, you know, every day, every Absolutely. fight. You never know some guy. Some guy all of a sudden one day gets up and tests positive for kombucherol. I mean, you just never know with this sport. Um, you know, so hopefully, like I said, the, the fight the fans still want to see, I believe, is Triple G and Canelo to put a put a closure to that fight. But the way it's going, who knows? And, um, you know, the thing with, with both of them, they do have other avenues, even though that is the, the, the one that they can both make the most money. But Triple Triple G has guys like Murata if, it's, um, if Billy Joe doesn't fight uh, – Canelo. So it's not the end of the world if it doesn't happen. Me personally, I'd be bummed because you, there's no closure. You want something different, you know, after that first fight. You really want to see, you know, something, an exclamation point, some closure to uh, that decision that, that I thought went uh, the wrong way. So you, uh, your fighter, German on Kosthaus, uh you know, fights uh, Jonas Sultan this weekend. Um, you know, Saturday, May 26th at the, the Selland Arena in Fresno, California on ESPN Plus. Um, tell us a little bit how, how you guys came together and, and uh, you know, what is uh, Jerwin fighting for in this fight? Jerwin, first of all, I, I ran across Jerwin about 2013 when he was fighting on the undercards of uh, Manny Pacquiao. And I saw him in Macau and I saw him whack out this guy from Tanzania and I said, hmm, this kid's got some, some good abilities. So, um, he, you know, off of that fight, he got into the IBF and the world rankings, and we moved him along a few more fights. And we were very fortunate enough to get the champion, Mick, uh, Joe uh, Arroyo. It was a long story, but we hijacked him over to the Philippines because his promoter wasn't the most intelligent guy at the time, and he blew the first bid. But after that fight right there, it really showed because Mick Joe was undefeated at the time, real stud, and Jerwin stepped up and won that fight. And it showed that the kid really had something. So now after a few defenses, um, you know, unfortunately I thought at first fighting Jonas Sultan was kind of like, uh, who wants two uh, countrymen, who wants, you know, this. But now it's just, it's, it's, gotten, it's gotten bigger and bigger in the Philippines. And they sent over five of their top reporters. They sent over two crews from ESPN5. They've got ABS here. I mean, the fight is, outside of Manny, there's no bigger coverage in the Philippines for a fight like this. In the U.S., you know, it's a little different. Um, but the fight itself is going to be very interesting 
for Jerwin is either keep him going on the path to stardom, slow him down a little. I personally think he's going to look like a million bucks. I think, you know, the old cliche about styles, um, this guy comes at you hard. He's not the most skilled. He's open, but he's often aggressive. But that plays into Jerwin's strengths. And this fight here is all about pride and country. 93 years, the last time it happened, um, you know, the winner is going back to a Manila or Cebu, and the loser staying on the big time and, and fighting in the U.S. and building his brand and, uh, and his name. So there's a huge, um, you know, it's a huge uh, night for either Rick, guy. A lot yeah. of stuff at stake. Yeah, what's been uh, the atmosphere? I, I've been. I follow several of those guys. We're actually going to have uh, you know Ryan Singalia on after you, who's out there covering yeah. it. Uh, what's the buzz like in that? And, and why Fresno? Is there a large Filipino community there? Yeah. What or is it just was, a fighting town? Well, it's, it's a little bit. What happened was we got dropped, unfortunately, on a date of May 28th, which is not a good date, as you guys know, in the United States. Excuse me, May May 26th, Memorial Day weekend. So right. yeah. we got bumped out of we got bumped out of Vegas. Couldn't land a spot in L.A. So it was just a natural place, Fresno, which is a good fight town because of Rick Morigan promoting here. Um, in between San Francisco and L.A., you have a ton of Filipinos. You got a lot of Filipinos in this area, and you got fight fans here. You know, Jose Ramirez fans, boxing fans in general. Um, you're a big fish in a little pond on a Saturday night in Fresno. I don't think there's a lot happening this time of year, and on that Memorial Day weekend. It's a, it's a tough sell, so you need to come somewhere that you were kind of the, the big story in town. Um, so I think it's going to be a nice crowd. I think they'll have five 6,000, which is, which is big for, for two Filipinos that no one's from here. Uh, the co-feature uh, with, you know, with uh, uh, Khalid, you know, whatever. So, so it's really hard to sell when you got four guys, basically no one's from here. But Carmona's Hispanic. you got a lot of guys in the undercard. So I think it's going to be a great buzz. It's going to be a great atmosphere. And, and the biggest thing is this fight goes live back to the Philippines. No fights go live to the Philippines except Manny Pacquiao. So nice. Sunday morning, 10 a.m. live, everybody's going to see it, then they'll replay it at noon. So it, it's a huge deal for Jerwin. You know, like I said, in the U.S., his brand's growing slowly, but this will take him up to the level, you know, right below the Manny Pacquiao's in his country. So it's a big, big deal for, for him. That's great. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. I I, uh, I have a, a rehearsal. I can't I can't miss. So I I can't be there at the fight live. I, I wanted to be. It, it uh, it's exciting to me that that you know with Jose Ramirez, uh, that that city right there you know is become a fight town again, and and that they're they're doing big numbers, and and it's it's uh, it's just great. I mean NorCal. I know Sacramento used to be a big time fight town, and. Uh, they sure yep. could use some fights. Uh, what do you class? You know, at the beginning, I was like, I passed the introduction of you to Dave because uh, how do you classify yourself? Are, are you a matchmaker, a manager? And That's what funny. aspects the FBI, do you like better? The, 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 the FBI asked me that one time. I said, I'm not really sure how to answer that question. <laughs> What's up? That was a long time ago, gentlemen. Long time ago, we'll, uh, we'll move on. Um, you, know, you know, like in a lot of businesses, they would call you, they would call you a jack of all trades. Um, I'm a, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a, you know, I managed Orlando Salido. I did all stuff for Julio Cesar Chavez matches. Um, you know, I specialize in, if you've got a guy that needs to be built up a little, the right guys, move your, move your prospects along matchmaking aspect. Um, and just advising different fighters kind of what I do. I mean, I started out in Oklahoma with the late great Pat O'Grady, my cousin, Sean O'Grady, 
right. promoted shows there for about 10 years, had, had a heck of a lot of fun with Buck Smith having over 100 wins, Marty Jakubowski, Harold Brazier, Harold Warren. You know, I learned just enjoying it, having great times um, with a lot of fighters in the Midwest and then moving out to Vegas um, in 97 to go to work for Top Rank. And uh, I just work a little bit of everything. Do you need something fixed? Where do you go? You go to the mechanic. But that's me. So that's what I do. When did you know you had an eye for, I mean, because I imagine, you know, not any winning can do this. You have to have a certain eye for the way styles mesh or being able to see somebody's strength or weakness, right? Like, when did you know that that you could do that? It just kind of comes with a lot of hours of seeing stuff and working, uh, a lot of different fights, going and watching guys, um, looking at tape. Kind of probably, I got into the business around 85 and, um, just over that, that first 10 years of just working with a lot of guys and watching guys in the gym and seeing how things work, talking to my mentor, Bruce Trampler, Hall of Famer, uh, Brad yeah. Goodman, you know, Tom Brown, just talking to a lot of guys and picking their brain. So over the years, and I still don't know everything. I mean, you, you sometimes, you know, you make big mistakes. You think, wow, it looked, uh, it looked really good on that tape, but wow, what happened? So, so it, yeah. it, you know, and, and sometimes it plays out exactly like you thought in your mind, like, you know, when, when Jerwin fought Israel Gonzalez, um, the guys at top rank didn't want to do the fight at first. They're like, oh, it's a mismatch. It's this, it's that. I said, not exactly. I mean, I don't, I don't envision Gonzalez winning. I see him being competitive in a fun fight. Um, and even though he wasn't winning the rounds, you still thought it was a fun fight and the rounds were good. So, and it takes a little bit of luck sometimes. So, so I would say, you know, just throughout the years of, 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 of learning and doing fights and matching fights, but definitely you can make a mistake with the, all of a sudden a guy was either too tall or he did a certain thing. And, and um, you know, sometimes guys don't mess you up right or left-handed. So you just need to keep always trying to watch and learn and, and just look at tape and stuff. So that is really it. So let me ask you this. Do you enjoy trolling Lomachenko, reminding him on Twitter that your guy beat him, was the first guy to beat him. Because, uh, you know, I see the enjoyment, you know, and I can just see your happy fingers when you when you mention to somebody, yeah, but guess whose who guy did it first? <laughs> yep, because you, know, you know what? Orlando had the blueprint, absolutely. And if someone would just figure out, you don't box with Lomachenko. You get in his right. ass. You get on his chest. You push him back. He's a southpaw. First of all, they can't fight backing up. Orlando showed it because people – it makes me sick, a low blow or this or that. He wait. He said, come on, stop already making excuses for the guy. The only thing I'm sick about is that rematch never happened, and it's not our fault again. Lomachenko got money hungry. He was the guy that came here at first, and it wasn't about the money. Well, then you should have paid Toledo the money he wanted. You should have took a little less, and you would have got your shot back at him. But they wanted to treat us like some dirt Mexicans that we don't deserve to get paid properly. Last time I checked, uh, champ, we won the fight. You can say however right. we did it, whatever we did it. And what people don't realize, they go, well, he was overweight. Orlando killed himself. He got down to 28. Killed himself. You don't think he was more affected? Why, almost in the 10th, 11th, and 12th round, he almost got knocked out. Because I've, never, yeah. I've never understood that people that say that, that when a guy's yeah, body bullshit. locks up, you know, that's an advantage. Yeah. It's not an advantage. His body locked up. Dude, he told me, he, he, he got down to 28, and he said, I can't do it. No more, or I'm not fighting. I called their manager, they laughed. <laughs> he can weigh 150, whatever. All right, no problem. He did. So They were so arrogant and disrespectful towards Orlando, who Orlando, on his best night, 
could beat anybody, and he had a few bad nights. I mean, even the Mikey Garcia, he came out at some of his worst moments, but by the ninth round, who was in Mikey's butt? Orlando. Who quit claiming my nose is broken? Mikey Garcia. He was fixing the field, you know, round whatever it was, 9, 10, 11, and 12. He was fixing the field where a real Mexican keeps coming. So, you know, I, I feel marvel at, at how Orlando was able to do it for so long, for, you know, for so many years at the highest levels. And he had, you know, a couple bad ones. He had tremendous nights. But with Lomachenko, it always haunt me that we weren't able to put it together because I would have loved to see people, again, show Orlando kick his ass the same way he did the first time because he knows how to fight and he knew how to fight Lomachenko. And that was it. So, I mean, he did so it for with the rest uh, of his life. My... For the rest right. of his life, baby, he'll always have that one and he'll always remember who it was, Orlando Salido. <laughs> Because <laughs> I remember yep. when he came on, because we've had Orlando on, ooh, God, quite a few times here on Leaving the Ring. And with, it was, with, uh, with Sean, right? Yeah. And and you remember when he came on, he was going to face uh, Walmart Lopez. And Walmart at the time was a hot ticket. You know, and, no, and nobody was yep. giving him a, nobody was even looking at Orlando. Like they thought, oh, here's a, here's a guy who's going to come in. He's, yeah, he's a workhorse, but he's going to, Walmart's going to walk right through him. And it didn't happen. I remember when he when he stopped Juan Lopez. I mean, the whole arena was quiet. You could hear a pin drop. Was, uh, it, it see that that goes back to what I told you making a mistake. They looked at Orlando. They watched him with uh, Gamboa. You know, Gamboa speed gave him some problems and different things. Whatever it was, so he lost. So they figured, okay, we're going to match Gamboa with Wama. Let's build it up a little bit more. Which they made that mistake, as Bob said, salivating or letting it. You know cook a little more, and um, Orlando thrived on fighting southpaws. If you look at his record, probably eight or nine of his best wins were against lefties, which a lot of guys don't like that because Orlando wasn't a jabber. Orlando was a – the right hand comes flying first in the hooks. But that, that's what really set Orlando off and running was the Wama and then, of course, the rematch. And uh, to this day, the second Wama fight, it's like round nine, is one of the greatest rounds I've ever seen or been at. It was phenomenal. If you go back and watch this round, it was just sick. And that's where, that's where Wama just blew his wad, and then in the 10th, he got stopped. But I'll always marvel, like I said, I don't know if Orlando's ever going to fight again. He's actually running for general secretary of, um, of uh, Sonora, of Obergon. He's got a good chance of winning the election. So, uh, you know, he good may just uh, pass it and, and go on. But it is. It's good for him. And he's one of the proudest stories I ever have because the guy owns houses, apartments, owns everything. You know, he has money in the bank. You don't have no worries about Orlando. I'm going to be asking him to borrow some money in about five years. So, <laughs> that, that's, the good, that's the good stories of boxing. And then you got the poor stories like Carlos Baldemir, who I handled, who made millions and unfortunately ran into a lot of demons and other issues. And he went from selling feather dusters to the top of the world to back to selling feather dusters. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. Yeah. That's boxing. That's, it's, it, it, you it still is. Working with, are you still working with the kid, Julio, though? Are you still working with uh, Chavez Jr.? Viva Julio. To the day he officially quits, I will be Team Chavez. I, guess, so, I can tell so you who I won't be. Team, team Hilberto Ramirez I'll never be because they got a bunch of managers that are amateur hour, but Viva Julio. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is Julio, the rumors about him and Hearn, are they, are they true? Is that going to happen? Is that going to become real? Right. It, it 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 as a very very good possibility of becoming real, um, you know, just Julio getting getting himself together, get his weight down. But absolutely, I mean, I don't I don't deal exactly in that department. That's his attorney Guadalupe. That's Julio. 
I pick the opponents when it's time to go. Um, but I can absolutely say, yeah, why not? Why wouldn't it be? And I think, uh, you know, I think um, Al Heyman's a very so if it is a go, businessman. If, okay, so if it, if it is a go and you're the guy that picks the opponents, what, who, who would be the guys in, in your mind right now? Like, who would you think that would be a good opponent for his comeback? Well, I can only say generically just something like we brought him back with Dominic Breach. Something, you got to give the guy a break after being off now a year and whatever, um, ballooning up in weight, doing a lot of things. You know, like a, like a lower, lower between 10 and, 10 and, you know, top 10 and 20 guy. Just, you know, the first one back. I mean, even, even I've seen Julio mention like Gabe Rosado maybe. Um, you know, just something, something to just get the, get the cobwebs out, to get him, get him revved up again. Um, he had a lot, you know, a lot of stuff with, with, with Canelo making him go down a 62 and a half or 63 was a bad mistake, but it was a financial, it was a windfall. So, you know, he, he got to the weight, but he had nothing left to really let, let anything go. So I just like to see him come back and, and fight a, uh, you know, someone in the top 20 and then it's open for anybody and everybody, you know? Well, there you go. There you go. So, you got anything else? Uh, there you have it. If you got if you got ESP in the app, tune in Saturday night. Watch history, historic fight, two Filipinos, first time in ninety three years, and other great fights in the card. Um, you, you have other guys on the card, uh, right? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of good stuff uh, uh, underneath with uh, kids from this area. Um, trying to think, you got you know some of the the uh, the kids that the Edgis Clemus has, but really the two. The two signature fights are the main events, and uh, and it'll be interesting to see um, Khalid. Uh, how do you ever say it? Yafar, because yeah. you know, there is talk about us fighting him, and we're happy to look. You know, um, you know. So so it's it's been it's it's a, a lot of things happening that night. So if anybody's watching, tune in, and uh, and and you know, like I said, thank you for having me on. Thank you for giving me the time, and uh, you know, always a pleasure, guys. Yeah, it's man, really great, for man. Coming on, brother. Yeah, yeah. Really appreciate yeah, you coming appreciate on. Anytime, and we'll have to get uh, we'll have to get uh, you know some fighters on eventually. Get a get a Julio, get someone on here to talk with the people because you know he's always seeming to pop up on Facebook Live or somewhere. He should go right to the people through your uh, show. <laughs> Absolutely, That'd be great. We'd love he to have him on, the man. He can wear the if he wants to. You know, whatever whatever <laughs> you want. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, All right man. I, I appreciate it. I'm gonna go. All right, thank you guys. <laughs> Viva. All right, take yeah. care, brother. Viva. Bye-bye. Sean Gibbons here, uh, matchmaker, manager. If you missed the interview, don't worry. You'll catch it on the archive here on the ring. Um, got some good stuff from him, man. Really interesting yeah, guy. Yeah, no, he's, he's uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm curious if he's always been this happy-go-lucky. Because every time I ever encountered him uh, on the, you know, just uh, in, in my boxing travels, uh, he's always had a smile on his face. Uh, and just, you know, would be making a joke or just, he's just, you know, happy-go-lucky, really loves his work. He is. He is. Yeah, and that's why I said on Twitter I imagine him just being this really amped-up, energetic guy. <laughs> if, you, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you have to. Uh, knucklehead, right? What is it, Knucklehead something? Knucklehead Sean. Yeah. Knucklehead Sean. <laughs> Woody. Yeah, uh, great guy, man. Good. That was a fun interview. Um, are we ready for our next guest here on Leaving Ring? I need to uh, reach out and, and, and get his prefix. Uh, I'll check in with him, but we do have some callers on the line. Yeah, you want to pass him some calls really quick? 
Well, I will, I'll uh, I'll track down Ryan. Okay. And uh, let me uh, let me patch in some callers here on Leave the Ring. Area okay. code five one zero. You're on live right now on Leave the Ring. What's on your mind, brother? Hey, Dave. Hey, Dave. This is Fernando Richmond. How you guys doing? Good. Hey, brother. what's up, doing, Fernando? Man? Long time no talk. Good man. I'm doing good, brother. Hey, I've been drinking. I'm watching the Warriors game right now. You know, I apologize if I sound a little bit slurry. But, uh, <laughs> We've all been there before. I apologize. We've all been there. I apologize, but I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to act stupid, homeboy. I'm not going to act stupid. All right, but, uh, that's all. Yeah, if you do, then you yeah. can apologize. Until then, you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> just, a little, just a little slurry. Just a little slurry. But um, <laughs> I, I'm glad. You know, I, I um, last week I, jo- I enjoyed the interview with uh, Joe Goosen. I was at the Corrales Castillo uh, fight, the first one. And uh, it was awesome, man. I really enjoyed that interview with them, man. You know, uh, I was a big, back in the day, I was a, you know, I'm still, I was a big fan of Corrales and uh, Juan Manuel Marquez, which was on the undercard, right? He fought Victor Polo, and uh, it was a great fight, you know? Great fight, you know? Yeah, I had a good time. It was one of the, obviously, one of the greatest fights of all time. I had a lot of love for Diego. I remember when he came out of prison, I was like one of the few people around my, my group of friends that had love for Diego and for Juan Manuel. You know, back in the day, everybody was like a big fan of, uh, either you were in the Morales camp or you are in the Barrera camp. I was all by myself with uh, Marquez and Corrales, you know. And uh, anyways, I, I had the honor and the enjoyment of being at the fight in Las Vegas at the Menlay Bay 2005, Tico de weekend, you know. How was that? Um, Let me ask you this. I mean, because you were there live. You witnessed the fight of the century. Did did you guys yeah. did, did everybody kind of you know kind of feel that like wow man what you know we we just witnessed something that's, that's that, that 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 doesn't come around every ten years it comes around every maybe hundred years. You know, you know what's crazy, dude? Like I had like um upper level ball upper level ball tickets and I was with my ex wife at the time, and um, what tripped me out, dude? It wasn't a lot. I'd never been to a big fight. I, I've been a boxer. I'm forty three years old. I've been a boxing fan since I was a little kid, you know. It was my first time right. ever being in Las Vegas, you know, first time on an airplane. And what tripped me out was it seemed like a lot of people there were, like, had free tickets, you know. I was, like, expecting, like, a sold-out show, and I had a good time. Like, and, and me, I'm I'm uh, Mexican-American. I'm a little bit lighter-complected, you know. I'm, 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 uh, I look like a white guy, right? Right. And uh, I remember, I remember uh, when Corrales knocked out Castillo, I was all happy. I was jumping up and down, right? I was like, fuck yeah. You know, I was excited. And uh, right, I remember right. I was like, hey, calmate, calmate. They're going to fucking kill you, <laughs> you know? Because the Mexicanos, they thought I was a white guy happy for Corrales, you know, happy that right, right. the guy got knocked out. Yeah. He's like, hey, calm down, calm down. They're going to fucking kill you right here. I'm like, oh, fuck. You know, I was all tripping out, you know? But um, You know, it's, it's, it's great you said because I remember, because this went out when, when, when Corrales and Castillo fought, I just moved here to Modesto. It was my first year here, and it was our first month, actually, because we moved in, in uh, like towards the end of April. So the house still wasn't furnished. So I had this little itty-bitty, like, 15-inch green TV, and, and we didn't, you know, the house wasn't furnished, right? <clears throat> but I remember yeah. the first thing I told the wife was, hey, um, we got to get the cable in first. I don't, get, I, don't, I don't care about AC. I don't care about anything else, electricity and cable, because <laughs> this fight's coming on. And my yep. brother, my my older brother, my uncles are all big fight fans. My my compadre is a big fight fan, but none of them cared about yep. the fight. They're like, ah, bro, Diego's already shot, dude. He's no good, you know. 
both of those guys are not good. And I was like, dude, this is going to be a good fight. And guess what, yep. man? My, yep. my neighbors didn't know me. That night, they got to know me. You know, every round, man, screaming my head off. I mean, you want to talk about being fellow by the end of the night? Woo, boy, I had oldies but goodies. The whole works, bro. The whole works. Yeah, dude, you know what, dude? I always saw something special on Diego. Like, even, before, even when he fought uh, Mayweather, I had seen the fight where he fought up in Oregon, right? He was on another I forgot who he fought, right? And I remember seeing him at the Sacramento Arena also, like on ESPN. He fought somebody on ESPN. I, thought, I know you're talking about, yeah. Special. Yeah. Yep. And I thought so he was something special even back then, you know? Like, right, you know, I'm, uh, you know, we don't have a lot and of a lot of people didn't here, know he you know, was a lot of, Yeah, and a lot of people yeah. didn't know that he was yeah. a wrestler. That, that was the crazy part, because I would tell people, bro, he's, you know, he's Mexican-American. They're like, what? Yeah. No. You know, yep. I'm like, yeah, from Satcom. Yep. But, man. Anyways, bro, we'll let you go. You we know, got, got some other guys on, brother. But, um, oh, no, thank go you, ahead. Bro. Thank, you, thank you. Thank you. Hey, thank you, All David. Right, thank you. All right, man. My pleasure, man. Ooh, man, I almost forgot we were on the radio. <laughs> I could have <laughs> kept going. I could have kept going. Uh, do we got Ryan on? Or can we pass um, another fight fan? He dropped off. Um, let's see if he calls back. Let me pass in another fight fan here on Leaving the Ring really quick. Let's go. Area code 718. You're on live right now on Leaving the Ring. What's on your mind? Well, you know, I, you had Sean Gibbons on. I would have loved to have uh, asked him a question. I had kind of a, a three-part question for him. Which, uh, which, which thing was, was toughest for him in, in, in his long, illustrious boxing career? Was it um, digging up opponents for, like, Jacobowski and Smith, um, fighting uh, Mickey Rourke, or uh, escaping uh, Julio Cesar Chavez's uh, after party with his wallet in his pants? <laughs> I would, I would say, I would say he would have said. That's a uh, great number question. Two, number two. <laughs> Fighting, he fought Mickey Rourke. Rourke. You guys didn't even get into that, man. He fought yeah, Mickey yeah. Rourke. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. one, this, by the way, this is Kurt. Kurt Emhoff. By the way, I want to. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I kind of yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. How you doing, man? <laughs> good, 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 man. Sean's like one of my favorite people in, in the sport, man. So I'm so glad you guys had him on. Uh, yeah, yeah. You could do like a whole hour. You know, he needs like a you know the uh, whole long thing because I mean he kind of touched on things, but it, uh, you know, the FBI and stuff and that kind of let me know that he didn't really want to talk about that stuff, uh, which is cool. That's not what we're having him on, but you know, we. Uh, We've had him on before. I think we were talking about Orlando's first positive, or his only right. positive. And, his only and, positive, and, right. Yeah, and went in-depth on that uh, and, and the steps they took afterwards and all. Um, I've talked to him a few times in person, but uh, this is, you know, the, the first time we've really kind of put the spotlight on him. It, Kurt, what's your take on the breakdown? Yeah. The late uh, breaking I, I, news that uh, Canelo and, and uh, Triple G is off because apparently neither wants the fight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, it's just you know, uh, boxing just can't get out of its own way sometimes. I mean, I, I I I don't get that. I mean, I guess what is it? Just the acrimony between the two fighters? I mean, I saw just a little a little thing on Twitter about it, but I mean, did they go into details to why the the deal broke down or or? Uh, I mean, I, I, I haven't ring. seen anything. I know on that's it. up on the ring. I haven't read it though. I just saw it a little YouTube. while ago. 
Yeah. Through it here, uh, Mike Coppinger reports uh, for the ring. Um, I'll just uh, th- that's a whole other story. Um, uh, it's clear to us that Golovkin doesn't want to fight Canelo. De La Hoya said during a phone interview uh, with Coppinger. Uh, it's clear that after all the demands that they made after Canelo having to do the hair follicle test, having to enroll in VADA, having to be tested by the Nevada Athletic Commission uh, randomly, even before he was enrolled in VADA, it's clear that Triple G is afraid. So we're going to move on and start making calls with uh, Jacob's people or uh, Saunders people, start making calls with Charlo and Spike O'Sullivan, which is probably who they'll ultimately fight. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it seems like, you know, you know, they've been kind of hinting at this for a little while, like that, that it may not happen in September either. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe it's Canelo just, you know, he's been off for a little while and, and maybe he doesn't want to come straight back against Triple G on, on basically, you know, come back off a year layoff. I could see that. Um I mean, you know, Golovkin also doesn't want to lose a belt, right? And who knows how, I mean, that, that IBF thing might, might not go his way, so maybe that's how he gets in the Derevianchenko fight now. I mean, maybe maybe all this all the other stuff they're leaking out is kind of a subterfuge. Who knows? But, I mean, it should happen. I mean, there's no two ways about it. These knuckleheads should be able to make this deal happen. Maybe there's something that we just don't know about that it's, that's not happening. But Who does um, it hurt more? Who does it hurt more? Hmm. Um, you know what, you know what, you know, off the top of your head, you'd like to say Golovkin, but there are so many other great fights out there for Golovkin. Now you actually have mandatories that people want to see, you know, I mean, yeah, (laughs) I mean, he's got wool, he's got PBC wolves at the door, man. He's got, uh, he's got Charlo. He's got the He's got Jacobs. I mean, those are all really good fights. I mean, you know, it's not like he doesn't have anyone to play with and it's not going to be a great fight. So, um, he's still, you know, I mean, he's definitely keen of the hill, you know? Yeah. That's, that's what that's the position he, he's uh, you know landing himself at. So yeah, he's in great position. Yeah, know? I think Canelo actually opinion. still had a little more to prove in that second fight. People didn't think he won the first fight, you know. And now, especially after testing positive, I think you know he he needed he needed to really come back and 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 pull the upset and get the redemption. I think if Canelo walks away and fights someone else, people are just gonna be like, who is this guy? You know, he's he's not the you know the 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 uh, the guy we thought he was who'd fight anybody and you know wants to be the king of the sport. I mean, if you're really walking away from Triple G and taking on you know Gary O'Sullivan, I mean, or, you know who wants to see that? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it hurts Canelo more if if, if the yeah. rematch doesn't happen. To be honest with you, I mean, it doesn't happen now. I, I think it's going to happen. I just think it's a matter of you know Canelo is is. Uh, I mean, I've been trying to err on the side of, of, of believing the guy's story because it seems like everything that he's done to prove his story uh, has, has, has uh, shown to be true. You know, I mean, uh, no, absolutely. To, you, I mean, you know, I think I think, um, you know, that but, you're taking a lot of heat for that. But I think I think you're spot on. I mean, it, you know, show me where it doesn't look like it was it was, uh, uh, you know, meat contamination. A, yeah. But that's <laughs> sad. Uh, let's go to the theory that say he was using and is, it was at the end of his cycle and that theory is true. Uh, maybe he feels like he's going to need some time while he's doing testing and being, you know, uh, as uh, Lance Armstrong's team used to call it, bread and water, uh, you know, being clean. Uh, 
but it's going to take some time for him, his body to kind of adjust. He'll keep maybe the gains that he was using if he was using, uh, but now he's got to, you know, kind of step up his program, let his body turn back on. Maybe if he was doing certain things that were shutting off his natural testosterone uh, production and that. So all that's got to recalibrate. So you do that against Spike Osullivan, not against Triple G in a rematch. Yeah. That's one I mean, school of thought. That's but, plausible. You know, Very plausible. Very plausible you know, theory. Absolutely. But I, I like I like the, the, the way the evidence has been pointing the other way more. Yeah, How about you the know, evidence I, for Carlos Molina? Let me ask you guys about that. What do you think about that there? What's that? Hmm? Carlos Molina. <laughs> Versus Canelo? League, I think. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> no, I'm asking uh, you guys, because uh, we haven't even got around to talking about that, about Carlos, uh, <laughs> do you know, uh, uh, just, uh, what was it, this past oh. Saturday? Was this, or Monday or something? Oh, Eric Molina, you mean. Eric, Eric Molina, I'm sorry. What did I say, Carlos? Eric, Eric Molina, yeah. What did you guys think I about that? I thought you were talking about an opponent for Canelo. I'm like, I Carlos Molina. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> no, <yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, talking about, man. I'm, over, I'm over looking things up and all that. I wanted to see, read that article. Uh, but, uh, yeah. No, about Molina. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 feel bad. I feel bad for Eric Molina in, in, in some ways. In other ways, his story seems a little shady. I mean, I, I, I know people who used to, uh, to used to handle Eric. Eric seems like a real nice kid. But, um uh, you know, I mean, basically he had his brother go down to Mexico to get to get what was supposed to be a B12 shot, which a lot of fighters get. Right. You know, it's one of the right. legal things you can take is, is a B12 shot. But, it, you know, it listed something on the WADA's band list, like right on the label. On the box. It was right on <laughs> yeah, the box. And, yeah. and it says yeah, BX, like- which is like, it, that's deck. You hear his explanation for it though. He goes, hey, "There's just a lot of stuff on the water list, so you know, I, I basically didn't want to read it, you know, so I shouldn't get in trouble for it." It was like, "Are you serious? That's your defense?" <laughs> you, you know what though? In all line. honesty though, and, and, and Gabe could probably. Line. I just didn't. I didn't want to stop. I saw the stop <laughs> line. Yeah, it's like the old joke. <laughs> But honestly, you know, Gabe could probably tell you too. This goes on in the sport all the time. I mean, it, it it's not like you know, it's not like a major sport where you have a trainer and he dispenses, you know, the any supplements or whatever. You have guys who just go to the gym, they train, they don't have a WADA specialist on their team. You know, I mean, and, uh, that's, that's very true. Yeah. yeah. And you know, yeah. the, it, you know, it, you know, they they they're not looking at you know every single ingredient that that's in a supplement. So. Oh. You know, um, and and uh, it's it, it happens. You know, and that now the drug testing is is getting more serious. Yeah, you know, you can get you can get busted, and then and then poor Eric. You know, he he didn't have a you know he didn't he didn't you know hire a lawyer, and I don't know who his management team is, but they just did absolutely nothing to to get that uh, the penalty uh, taken down from two years to something. I mean, it seemed like UK AD. I mean, they're like you know he, this guy obviously you know, didn't didn't do any due diligence, so you know. But but even they were just like you know they they could have knocked it down a little bit but he didn't even show up and participate no. so they're just like no. you know fuck them we're gonna make it two years you know? exactly <laughs> unbelievable well they don't play so any we games we gotta let you go we gotta let you go because we have sure. our next guest but yeah man hey, it was great talking to you we gotta have you on soon I definitely want to have you on because I want to talk to you a little bit about that oh hey uh, obviously I love the show so yeah go ahead get Ryan on man all, all right, right man. talk Peace. to you. 
And uh, now we're joined by uh, Ring Magazine uh, reporter at large, uh, uh, man of the world. I mean, he's reported the Philippines, uh, the East Coast, West Coast. Uh, he's everywhere. Uh, I haven't talked to him in forever. Uh, Ryan Singalia, welcome to the show, man. Hey, what's going on, Gabe? How's it going, man? It's going very well. It's going very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. You know, I'm listening to the show. You guys are always talking about important uh, topics, you know, uh, for the sport of boxing. And, uh, you know, just here in Fresno for the big fight in Cajas versus Jonas Sultan. What I mean, is I'm going to have to just take a drive out there, you know, and, and go to yeah, the fight. Yeah, come on out. This I know. I'm, I'm, only, really I'm only like an hour fight. and a half away, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't covered a fight, which I don't want to do anymore. But um, just to go out and just sit there and watch it. And, you know, and it's crazy that I, I say a couple of years back, because I would go camping every Memorial weekend or any type of weekend that we can get a chance in the summertime. Um, and I was always saying, like, why don't they have any fights? It would be nice to have a fight to go see and <laughs> just go camping, you know. Yeah, no, you know, actually, because um, it's funny because here in the hotel, we're in the fight hotel now, and, uh, you know, there it's like a regular card kind of atmosphere, but in the Philippines, you know, thousands of miles away, this is the right. talk of the town, you know, you have, uh, this is the first time in 93 years that two Filipinos are fighting for a world title fight, and um, it's, it, it, it like, um, German Ancajas has become such a big star in the Philippines uh, as Manny Pacquiao's star has declined. Uh, you know, this is this is being and this is a very interesting situation because you know uh, Sultan is the mandatory challenger, and for a long time it was kind of seen as like a taboo thing with Filipinos fighting against each other in big fights. Like the idea, like you know, in the Philippines was that uh, quantity over quality. You know, they wanted you know, oh, you should go for another belt instead of uh, fighting another Filipino. Even though the way I look at it is, if you aren't the best fighter in your country in your weight, how can you be the best fighter in the world? You know, so right. yeah, I'm I'm just excited that this fight is happening because I, I was really uh, hoping that we, I would see this in my lifetime. Ninety three years, that's crazy. You know, the, yeah. that uh, to break that record. What was it like uh, to kind of move back a bit? Living in the Philippines, and and uh, how long were you there, living and working out of there? I was there for about five, six years, uh, back and forth, you know, for the first uh, couple of years. And then I was there for four years straight because I was working uh, with Rappler.com, which is a right. social news network out in the Philippines, uh, as, as the sports editor. And uh, I'll tell you, man, it's just a different, like, uh, if uh, when you get off that plane, it's like, it's another world. You know, everything is different. And um, just the uh, the culture, the social norms, uh, things of that nature, and especially boxing. Because um, I, I tell anyone, if you want to learn about the Filipino people, go cover boxing. Because when you're over there, it, you see the culture. You see the, the, the struggle of, um, of just the average person. Because really, like, you can watch TV. You can hang out in socialite circles. But you're not going to learn the real Philippines. Go out to the boxing gym. See the way that they're struggling. You know, these, are, these guys are hungry. There's a community kind of uh, uh, sense there where um, all, the, all the fighters in the gym, they live together. They train together. They eat together. Um, that's, it's, it's not, it's nothing like here in the United States, like really over there. It's like, that's kind of like their support system. You know, they, uh, they're all living this life together, you know, trying, hoping that they could become like a successful, like Manny Pacquiao has, that's their dream. So, um, when I was over there, I got to see some amazing things and I was really, um, really happy. Uh, you know, I got that opportunity. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's really exciting, man. Uh, to to now you are you born in the states or? Well, I'm I'm a, I'm a native of New Jersey, born in Hoboken, right. uh, based in that area. Um, that's what I thought. I moved over. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because like you know, I sound like a like like a like a the guy who's like flipping pizzas or something, you know. But like, uh, <laughs> when I, <laughs> so, so when I went over there, I'll tell you, when I went over to uh, the Philippines the first time, like I had a very strong accent because you know I I had you know been you know, in New Jersey, New York my whole life, and uh, I went over there. I went I went to Starbucks and I said, um, you know, um, hey, uh, let me get a coffee with two sugars, you know, and uh, let me get the paper too, and uh, the person had no idea what I was saying. And I was like, man, this is really hard. Like, you know, I'm just saying I want a coffee with two sugars and, you know, let me get the paper. You know, so I had to modulate my, my voice, you know, a bit because it was just like nobody was understanding me. That's why, like, um, I'm able now to – it helped me a lot because I was able to speak slower because of New York. I'm like uh, uh, a thousand miles a minute, you know. Yeah, uh, you actually your accent has softened since the last time I've talked to you. I think you know uh, <laughs> that's really funny. You know, um, what's Fresno like? Uh, just to kind of flip it back, uh, how's that uh, as a, a place to cover a fight? Like it's it's interesting because I like it because there's um like when I go when I go to like uh, fights in New York or media workouts and stuff like that, everybody's always late because. Um, you know, there's the trains and everyone has to commute from wherever the hotel is and traffic is nuts. Here in Fresno, it's it's a very slow-paced kind of place and everyone's um, – like we were in and out of the media workout within an hour. You know, it was great. And, um, you know, everyone got in the ring, did their thing, and then everyone left and uh, we all got our quotes. We got, we got everything. It, I, love, I love this kind of pace for a boxing match. Uh, I, obviously, it's uh, unrealistic when you're talking about bigger fights, like if you're covering a Pacquiao fight or, or Lomachenko right. and just logistics and, and how many people there are. But um, I wish I could always cover stuff like this way because, like in Cajas, I can just go up to his hotel room and if he's not sleeping, he, like right now he's watching the you know the the Rockets Warriors game, so like uh, you know he'll be awake, so I, I can go up there and get my quotes, no problem. Um, it's it's so much it's so much more relaxing to do uh, coverage this way, uh, especially you know since now I'm working with um, for this fight I'm, I'm freelancing for ESPN five in the Philippines, which is a uh, uh, an affiliate uh, of uh, ESPN, so you know they're connected with the fights. So it's it's great that I don't have to like when I'm transcribing, I'm, I I don't get angry that I missed this question. Like oh man, I ruined the story. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like I I love it out here in Fresno. They, I'll tell you, if you're gonna come out to Fresno, you gotta go out to the Doghouse Grill. You gotta get that uh, tri-tip sandwich. Everyone was recommending just like I asked everyone, what do I do in Fresno for a good time? And they told me get that tri-tip sandwich, and I I, I had it. And it was like heaven. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of great spots out there, man. I mean, um, like I said, I'm only like an hour and a half, maybe two hours away from there. But, yeah, it's, it is a different pace out here. You know, it's a lot of farmland. So everybody here is not in a rush to get where they need to go. But you know what's which, interesting because like um, like whenever I, I travel for fights, I always have like my list of things that I want to like see that you don't get in New York because like uh, Jack in the Box, we don't get that. We don't get um, a lot of different like of like the, the fast food restaurants. So I went over to Jack in the Box and I was so happy. I had a sourdough Jack and I I felt like a king. You know what I mean? Like I was like uh, I saw you I, I, I about like, that. <laughs> I, you know I, I I was living my I best saw that, life. And I was wondering Jack. like. I was wondering, I was like, what is he talking about? I mean, 
Am I missing something? <laughs> now you're explaining it. Now I get it. Now I get it. <laughs> That's great. Cause I used to live when I used to live down in Texas. That was my my spot. You know, when I was in, in high school, I, I I went I went to freshman year in, in Texas, and uh, the, the big you know place there was you know everyone hung out at, at Jack in the Box. So that was like my my favorite place. And then when I went up to New York, I I lamented that they didn't have that up there. I thought like life is such a, a cruel mistress that you know I can't have Jack in the Box up in New Jersey or New York. So like. Uh, you know, it, what's the point of having all of these attractions in New York, like the Empire State Building, you know, and the Brooklyn Bridge, if you can't enjoy a sourdough jack while you're looking at it, you know? That's hilarious. <laughs> it's been a minute since I've had a sourdough jack. I, uh, I'm kind of a patty milk guy myself, but uh, you wrote the piece uh, for TV5.ESPN, Drew uh, Ancajas refuses to let success change the way he is built. Um, yeah. Can you tell us his story a little bit, what you mean by that? You know, I first met uh, Joe Ancajas in like 2011 or 2012. And I remember I met him because his trainer, Joven Jimenez, was working with a couple of other guys that I was I knew, like Foyland Saludar, who I thought like were going to be serious, uh, like, you know, contenders and possible champions. And, um, you know, and Cajas was the least um, charismatic of that group. You know, he had great technical ability. I would look at him on the pads and, and just think, man, if he only had some punching power, he would be a serious fighter. And uh, all of his fights, you know, he would, he would be beating guys, but it was just like, um, like I, w- I went to go see him in fights, like on like basketball courts and places like that, wow. like out, like in like little town, you know, plazas, like uh like where like the you know the free admission kind of shows and I remember just um, thinking man you know such a nice guy and uh, has great um, boxing ability uh, like everything he did was like by the book like it was like he had wrote, like he had written the book and uh, he was just so um, so crisp with everything but just couldn't punch really hard and then I saw him in 2014 when I went out to uh, Macau he was on the undercard of I think Pacquiao Algeri and I was like whoa. What the hell is this? This is not the Akaz I knew, you know. Like Akaz destroyed this guy uh, from I think like Tanzania, uh, who wasn't like a world beater, but like Akaz had never looked like such a savage to me. You know what I mean? Like just destroying yeah. a guy, and um, so like uh, I and you know this is a guy who you know was you know he came from very like simple circumstances like his um his mother had remarried uh you know and, and moved away and and it was just he was just raised by his father who you know who uh, who works on a banana plantation and you know like it, it was really like you know hand to mouth you know kind of existence and you know he would um you know the the father would uh husk um coconuts for people uh you know to make a couple extra pesos uh and, you know, it was a very, very uh, poor upbringing. And, you know, and Cajas was, um, you know, he'd always been just, a, uh, he, he learned these lessons from everything he had to go through. Even when he was a, a professional, there's actually, um, when he was living in Cagayan de Oro, which is another place in Mindanao, um, he was like a very young kind of, uh, he was a young prospect. And, you know, he had a manager who was really looking after him at the time. And he, him and his friends, they would, like, um, deal, like, uh, little scraps of metal, you know, they would see, like, in people's yards, like, you know, pieces of, like, a bicycle, you know, that they could, like, scrap, you know. And, and then they would, like, support themselves that way, you know, like, uh, just to survive. And um, and and then there was a time when his tra- trainer, uh, Joven Jimenez, 
Um, all of those guys who were like bigger name prospects had left him, and only Jerwin and Cajas, you know, stayed with him. And uh, you know, they could, you know, it was Jerwin, his wife, and uh, and his uh, he had he had only one son at the time. They were all living in the guy's uh, living room, you know, like uh, with uh, the trainer and his family. So it was, you know, he remembers all of those uh, sacrifices, all those really tough times, and. Um, and, 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 you know, it's funny because he, you know, I remember when he had like nothing. And uh, when I went to his house the last time, he was so proud to show me like how the, the new updates to his, you know, his house like that he had built at his training camp. Um, and, you know, he had, you know, the, he just put a fresh coat of paint on the, on the house and now it looked like a house instead of like a domicile. It, it still had like a, it was like still gray concrete on the outside. We finally painted it. And um, he was so like proud. Like he, he was showing me his, in, even in his room, and he's like, he has the, the refrigerator in there. He opens up the refrigerator to show me, like, oh, I have a refrigerator. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was, it was actually kind of, uh, it was actually very like interesting because you know, um, the, the the thing about him is that he's, you know, like uh, people say, like you know, Pacquiao is a very humble guy, very simple guy. But like in in, a, in ways he is, but I didn't know Manny when he was really like down in the dumps. I knew right. Cajas when he was really like at the bottom, and he's still the same person. Like everyone he greets, it's like like there's a there's like a gag, like you know, uh, not really a gag, but there's like a, a thing. It's like a, a practice. Everyone is sir, you know, like like if he met you, he would call you Sir Gabriel, you know, or Sir Gabe, or like uh boss I and mean, like huh. uh, you know to the, everyone he calls boss or sir it's like he's such such a deferential person um it, that's just his personality and uh i, I admire that because you know in, in the philippines basketball is such a big you know sport there and all these athletes you know the, in the philippine basketball association are like a foot taller than him and they're all like lining up to meet him and you know they're like and so in Cajas, he's like you know like oh i can't believe these people want to meet me you know and uh it's like he's he's an he's an average guy, a normal guy, you know, very humble dude who just happens to be a really good fighter and and IBF junior bantamweight champion. So that's what I kind of was trying to convey in that story that he really uh, like coming from somebody who really knew him back then. Um, you know, he's the same guy. What's your predict? What's your what's your prediction for the fight? Like, you know, it's tough for me to say because, you know, obviously Ancajas has, you know, the advantages and skill and uh, he's probably even a bigger puncher. And, um, you know, he's, he's just such a, a technically perfect kind of fighter. But I I knew Jonas also. I was one of, like, Jonas's early proponents. Like, I said that, um, you know, I used to get upset that, you know, uh, he was not being put on TV. His promoter has a TV uh, show called Pinoy Pride, which is, like, the main vehicle for boxing, or at least it was until ESPN5 had gotten into the boxing business. But they were, like, showing a lot of, like, you know, guys like Donnie Nietes, Milan Melindo, you know, higher uh, – profile fighters and Jonas Sultan I said outside of those champion guys Jonas was their best fighter because he had gone over to Africa knocked guys out he had gone over to Japan knocked guys out um and when he fought Sonny Boy Haro up in Rizal province which is like about an hour from Manila um there was no tv for that even though the um Sonny Boy Haro was a former world champion and and Sultan was you know kind of really rising up the rankings so I I thought man you know, to me, that was like the Super Bowl of Philippine boxing for me because I, I, you don't, we don't often get those kind of evenly matched fights, and I was, I was having a great time watching uh, that fight. In fact, that fight only exists 
on YouTube from footage I had compiled through my phone. You know oh, what I mean? Wow. So, um, yeah, yeah, like the guy was so uh, like under the radar, you know, so it's um, – and I think Mkahas understands that. But, like, uh, people are saying that, uh, you know, Sultan is not in his class, but he knows better, you know, because he – like Jonas Sultan came from very similar situations, you know what I mean? Like both guys, you know, they, they, they're from Mindanao. Their fathers were farmers. Their mothers were working somewhere else or had married off, like, somewhere else. Um, he understands the struggle that um, Jonas Sultan had to go through to get where he right. is, and he under, he knows you know about being overlooked, not being like the the most famous guy in your gym, and having to really like work hard to get that attention. Um, so Jonas, I was looking at the at the stare down, and I looked at both of their eyes, and I looked at like like Jerwin like had this look in his face that's like you know what man, I'm the champion, bro. You are. You know, you all this talk about 93 years in history and you earned your shot. You know what? That doesn't matter right now because right now, you know, you know, you, you got to prove this. You know what I mean? And and Jonas right. had a look in his face that like he kind of understood. You know, like, you know what? This is really the toughest. Uh, I'm really, really stepping up in class here. So uh, I'm really excited for this fight. Um, I was there when uh, Casimero and Sultan fought, fought, and everyone was counting out Sultan. Like that, it, that you know, it was almost ridiculous that Sultan would be fighting Casimero. And and mm. Sultan is so awkward to fight because he's he's fast, he's strong, and he he has no rhythm. You know what I mean? It's like uh, there's no. It's very hard to kind of he'll jump in and and do things that you think no sane person would do, you know, kind of like his hands uh, in front of his feet kind of style, you know what I mean? Like, and um, he's rough and, but then he'll switch it up and do something like, you know, picture perfect and like throw a straight right hand down the middle. Um, that kind of stuff that he does. Uh, he'll throw like wide left hooks and then like a, a couple beats later, he'll throw a, a six inch left hook. You know what I mean? Like, that sort of stuff that it's so hard to kind of prepare for. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to count Jonas Sultana, but uh, I think he really has his work cut out for him, and he understands that because Jovan Ancajas is, uh, I would say, the best technical fighter from the Philippines since Jerry Peñalosa, you know. And, um, you know, it's, 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 this, this is a very serious man. Both of them are very dangerous guys, and uh, I, I'm not going to count any of them out. Let me ask you, let me, let's uh, uh, change the conversation to a different direction right now, but let me, let me ask you about Manny Pacquiao. You know, when you, when you're looking in the internet world and you start reading certain articles or, or even fans, everybody keeps saying that he's not the same Manny, that there's really not much left. Ryan, what do you think? I, I don't tend to, to buy that. I, I still think there's still a lot of Manny. Like, even when he fought Horn, I saw Manny dig deep that, that most aging fighters wouldn't do. Most aging fighters would have kind of given up already. You know, a head clash, uh, a mauling style, you know, it was all over him. But he fought it out. What do, what do you see yeah, about you know Manny what? still? Like the thing with – that's the thing with Manny. Manny will fight, you know, because Manny has such an ego, like, about being a great fighter that – you know, he doesn't want to be embarrassed. You know what I mean? He'll never go out there and give less than his best. Um, he'll go out there because like, he has this reputation. Like, in a weird way, he's almost like a smarter Arturo Gatti in that, like, he, you know, he'll sell out to go out there and, and, and try to win a fight. And, 
Um, and he's never been beaten up. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing about him. Like, he's never had the fight beaten out of him. He's been outboxed, like, by Mayweather. You know, like, that was a, such a, a, a tough uh, style for, for Manny. And, and, you know, he was winning the fight against Marquez when he walked into that shot. And, you know, nobody I, – I, I know very few people who actually think that Bradley or Horn beat Pacquiao. But um, Manny will fight. And the thing is that, that I like about what Manny does is that even though you – know, well, let me just clear the air. I believe he should retire um, just hmm. because it's better to walk away one fight too soon rather than one fight too late. Like, could you imagine, like um, – you know, there's like a, a movie and there's a car chase and like there's all this action. They shoot it out and the good guy wins and, and he walks off. And instead of, you know, the credits rolling, you're like, you know, okay, well, the cameras follow him. Now he's going to go to the store and go pick up some Pop-Tarts and, uh, you know, fill up his gas in his car. And everyone's like, wait, wait, why isn't the movie over? You know what I mean? Like, right. the, the storyline <laughs> towards Pac, that's what I, how I look at Pacquiao's career. It's like, it's almost like, um, like, you know, a show, like a TV show that, you know, you know, like, like, the office should have like they didn't really need the, the last two seasons you know what i mean right, right like it's kind of like that like where it's like all right uh i want to remember the show when it was really funny you know what i mean instead of when like yeah, you know the, all these new characters it's really, it's really rare to see a seinfeld finale you know where seinfeld jerry mm-hmm. seinfeld knew okay we're done uh um let's yeah. go out on a high note and, and we'll leave and this is, but yeah, this is like a manny pacquiao boo boy side adventure is what you're calling it <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost like a spinoff. It's like we're, we're, we're watching uh, Johnny Loves Chachi now of, uh, of Manny Pacquiao's career. Wow. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, like uh, that's, that's, you know, I, I guess I, I, I think that the Matisse fight will be exciting. I think it's, it's a great style matchup. You know, uh, there's, there's dead danger. And I like the idea of putting fights in Malaysia and other countries where they don't typically have boxing. You know, that's kind of – it's almost Muhammad Ali-esque, the way that Muhammad Ali brought boxing to all these countries. Um, but I just – you know, I just – I don't see the point, you know what I mean, personally. Like, like you know, Pacquiao's story arc, you know, was always leading towards Mayweather. You know what I mean? And right, right. when he got his fight, like, uh, for me, I had the closure. I said, all right. I thought for so long that Pacquiao, you know, should have that fight with Mayweather, win or lose, and then just walk off. And I thought, you know, it would be great to have that fight, you know, enjoy life a bit, whatever the situation is, and then maybe have, like, one going away fight in the Philippines. Let him just, you know, beat up some tough guy, you know, in Manila, and, you know, in front of, like, 50,000 people, and then just walk off. But, um... You know, I, that's not what happened. Um, but um, I, 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 I definitely agree with you. I'll tell you one thing that makes Pacquiao um, why he why I think he can still fight is because he's not a guy who like like Manny Pacquiao doesn't watch boxing. Like I don't get the feeling that, like like he's not really like a boxing fan. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't train between fights. He doesn't spar. He's not in the gym all the time. The way he stays in shape is he plays basketball. Like you know, sometimes like you know, middle of the night, like twelve a.m. to like two p. two a.m. three a.m. kind of stuff. But um, that's you know. So he's always in, in cardiovascular shape, but he doesn't put like, you know, he's not a guy who's going to like, you know, oh, I'm going to go out to the fights. I heard there's fights over here. Like, I, I, I was like Manny Pacquiao was five minutes away from when Jerry went on Carhouse for McJoe Arroyo, and he was the promoter, and he just they didn't go to the fight because he's just not a guy who likes boxing. Right? I, I remember one time he was co-promoter for a show at Solaire Resort in Manila, and um, he was in the hotel. Uh, who knows? You know, like uh, he was somewhere in the hotel and. Uh, and he never even walked downstairs to go see the fights because you know, he's not a guy. He's a guy who stays 
keeps a distance from the sport. So when he does immerse himself back into it, it's almost like it's brand new and he has enthusiasm for it. And he's a goal. Right. You know, he, he, he gets, he gets excited to do it again, you know, instead of a guy who's like burnt out, you know, because he's, you know, his life is the gym, you know? Hmm. I think, I think Lucas is, is style wise is perfect for Manny. You know, I think mm-hmm. if, if this is going to be his last hooray, this should be it. If he knocks out Lucas Matisse, cause I think it's, it's there for it, for the taking. Lucas is I. Yeah. Um, Lucas is not a very technically technically sound boxer. Um, he makes a lot of mistakes that Manny can capitalize on, and I, I, I'm with you on it. I think that if this if he fights and that's it, I think that this would be his swan song. That's it. No more. Retire. You know, it's like it, it's kind of unfortunate because like now he's fighting for like the WBA regular belt. You know, like it's not, right. not even like a real belt. You know what I mean? So it's like. Uh, and you know, which actually to me, I was surprised because I, I, of all the years that we've known Lucas Matisse, like that was the only real, that was all, the closest thing he ever got to a title. You know, like he, he never was actually like the champion. You know, so uh, right. so this is the belt that he has now, and it's like um, it's kind of like beneath Pacquiao, I think, to fight for this, you know, kind of belt. Um, you know, and dignify the WBA's uh, greed and corruption like that, but um. You know, I, I do think from a style match, and also you know, Matisse is you know he's passed it himself. Like he didn't look that great in his last fight, you know, and he exactly. fought. Um, yeah. He just he got knocked out not too long ago by Postal, and you know he's had a lot of tough fights, and you know he's thirty five years old, so he's not a spring chicken either. Yeah, no, I, I I completely agree, and like I said, there's one thing we haven't seen from Manny is, is a quit in him. Where Lucas, we've seen it, we've seen him kind of quit. You know, Victor Postal, he is a prime example. His eye, you know, couldn't get back up. He was done. I think when a guy has an injury like that, especially to something like an, like an eye, you know, it yep. changes them. You know, like mentally, you know, like, you know what, I need to be able to see for the next 30 years or so that I'm alive. Uh, that kind of, um, like, it, it makes them realize that they're not invincible and, you know, hey, I need to start taking care of my life. So I, I definitely think that Matisse is a guy that like like Freddie Roach had a great uh, quote before the third uh, Eric Morales fight with Pacquiao. He said, "Once you break a rock, it may be hard to break it, but you know, once it's broken, you can't really put it back together the same way." You know what I mean? So mm, I think that's the situation with Lucas Matisse, and uh, I'm just um, I've heard that I in mean, a nursery rhyme sure. too, the Humpty Dumpty. You know. Yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> right? It's kind of like it's a bit like Humpty. Although although I would say uh Matisse is a little bit harder to crack than uh than was uh, Humpty Dempsey. But look at this. Right, how many yeah. how many years have we been like saying that this guy is, you know, supposed to be like this dangerous guy? He's a he's an excellent fighter, was, very entertaining. But like, you know, that. you remember Zab Judah, he fought Zab Judah and it was like um I, I, I thought he was gonna crush Zab Judah and I Zab Judah really won that fight. You know what I mean? Like he really yeah. did. And you know, like, uh, and even like Danny Garcia, we all say he was going to crush him. You know, and then, no, I didn't. You know, I, I, yeah, we both I picked Danny Garcia. Yeah, I picked Danny. Yeah. I was never a machine guy. Steve uh, was always a, a big, uh, you know, he gave him the nickname, the machine. Uh, I, I yeah. was just was like, show me. And, and uh, he didn't. You know, I picked, no, I picked mm-hmm. Garcia against him. And, but every, most everybody did. Uh, they thought he yeah. was going to crush Danny. But that was, I, I think people pick with their hate for Al Heyman sometimes. 
<laughs> a little bit, like you know, like you know, Danny Garcia, you know, he 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 he's a very underappreciated in, in in certain ways. Like like a lot of times people count him out, you know what I mean? Like uh, so I I agree with you. Even like me, I I picked I picked him to beat um Keith Thurman because I picked so against uh um against Danny Garcia so many times that I was like, you know what, I'm not gonna pick against him again. But uh, <laughs> you know, he's just one, you know, he's like one of those guys that uh, you know, it's hard to appreciate, you know, some of the things he does because he has that reputation with the cherry picking and everything like that. But you know what? At the end of the day, he's, he's, he's a good fighter, man. And you know, he's he's never really like you know, yeah. Maybe he lost the Herrera fight. You know, he should have lost that fight. But then, you know, the Thurman fight, he was right there. So I mean, you know, I don't know if about 147, but but um, you know, just get back, you know, about Matisse. It's like really Matisse is a guy that you know he has the reputation he has compared to what he's actually accomplished makes it and 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 the danger that he may present actually makes this a pretty good fight for Manny Pacquiao to take at this stage in his career. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a perfect fight for him. Well, Ryan, we're up against it, but, uh, man, thank you so much for coming on. It's been too long, man. Oh, thank uh, you, guys. Next time you come through San Francisco, uh, hit me up. I'm here now. So, For uh, sure, man. I would love that. I'm going to take you up on that uh, invitation because I have a lot of uh, family out in San Fran, and uh, we got to get that drink together, man. Oh, no doubt. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's great to hear. Well, enjoy the fights. Uh, look forward to your next story on them. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thanks for all the coverage, man. It's it's, uh, it's pretty pretty amazing that a fight in Fresno is getting this much pub. But uh, you've been part of that storm, so I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Uh, have a great night, gentlemen. All right, man. Peace. Man, some really good stuff here today. On yeah, that's Ring, a real dude. reporter. You know, yeah, he's a he, breaks he's, it down, report- gives you the picture, paints it for you. What more it's do you been want? really great to uh, to watch his rise. Uh, I met him on you know on the internet. I think you know uh, year, you know at the very beginning of when I was writing, and to see Ryan, he's just such a pro. Um, really knows how to pitch himself, pitch a good story, uh, and and then also dig in and be part of a staff. And and he's you know takes himself out of his comfort zone uh, that way. Uh, yeah, he's just really he's, he's uh, always been a very good writer, but he, you know he's really honed his craft, and uh, it's great to hear from him. Well, you know, a good writer um, gets down in the trenches. That's what a good writer does. That's what true journalism is about, is um, being in a backyard that is not yours to really get the feel of what the subject or the story really is at. And he's kind of done that. Not a lot of folks are made to do stuff like that. And, you know, while we got about uh, seven minutes to go, I uh, just want to make sure that, that those that do tune in that are our patrons on Patreon, uh, how much we appreciate what you do for us. Um, uh, it's, uh, we, you know, I've been sending out, a, you know, a message out on, uh, on the Patreon. I'm going to be sending out more this week. Uh, we want to start getting more of an interaction with you guys. But just the bottom line is, is uh, you know, without you guys, you know, uh, certain things on this show wouldn't be happening. So uh, I really appreciate it. You know, I, I thought I was uh, going to leave uh, radio, and then you know, Dave reminded me that that here was this group of people that that had been saying for for quite some time. You know, we really appreciate what you do, and so I, I just want to give a shout out to you guys. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and uh, to show for this past month, we've we've kind of showed that um, we've been bringing guests very strong. We're going to continue doing that. You know. Um, we're going to take a break some, you know, here and there about bringing guests on the show so we can interact more with the callers and break down fights 
a bit more and bring up some topics that can really be um, talked about. Um, hey, you want to bring up this uh, tomorrow? It's actually this seven a at seven a.m. on uh, ESPN Plus. Oh, um, you're talking about uh, Jamie uh, McDonald versus uh, Naoa Anoe. <laughs> it's gonna look. We're gonna mess up that name. I'm just telling you right now. I know. It's probably gonna be no both way. of us. <laughs> it's, in a way. In a way. Be... I, I've heard it pronounced like five different ways, but I'll just yeah. go with the in a way. Um, I got. I mean. It's because his first like name is so hard to say. Naoa and no way. <laughs> it's, Actually, it's like Noah, that old David yeah. Letterman, you know, Uma. Let's just okay. call him the monster. Let's just say the monster. The monster. The monster. The, I like that nickname. Actually, it's the best, right. It's the best yeah. uh, boxing nickname out there right now, to tell you the truth. But no really here's, the, here's the thing about McDowell, what he did, uh, um, well, early this morning. Didn't show up for the weigh-in. It took him two hours to show up. I don't know if you, if you heard about that. Yeah, oops. Uh, well, he's yeah. a big man. You know, he's, he's uh, a big guy. 5'10"? Five, 5'10". Ten. Five, ten. He's got to get down. Uh, you know, Noe is 5'5". Uh, five, five. So uh, right there, he's a little bit uh, challenged. But, you know, uh, McDonald officially weighed in at 117.5. Uh, Noe came in right at the bad weight limit of 118. Uh, both Boy, looked look super irritated. strong. Yeah. He did. He looked he did. irritated. McDowell's got a good chin. He's got a good jab. Uh, very tall for his weight class, Bantamweight. Um, they're fighting for his strap. It's uh, the monster's first jump up. So definitely, it's not going to be, a, I don't want to say it's going to be a walk in the park because uh, Jamie could take a punch. But the thing that's against him is that he's not a guy that fights tall. He's like a poor man version of Corrales. And, and, don't come at me about that. But if you watch his style, he likes to fight in the inside, but he's not very good at it sometimes. He actually has better success when he uses his jab. He's got a nice right hand. He's got decent power to keep you humble. Um, but there's two things that he does that it's going to cost him against the monster. One is he's easy to target the body. And when you target the body, Gabriel, he bends at the knees. And he ends up eliminating his height. He ends up taking five inches off of himself. So he becomes he actually becomes five five. And that's gonna cost him. The second thing that he does is he likes to trap himself with his ropes sometimes. He he he's he sometimes forget he has good footwork. because he, he does. He does know how to counter beautifully. Um when he steps back, he, he likes to use this a check hook. He does know how to move. But he falls in love with staying to receive the receipt. And those are going to be very costly for him, for him because the monster is going to make him pay for it. But I don't see the monster being su- you know, super successful right away. I see him kind of work for it because of the height. And I think that McDowell, uh, uh, Jamie McDowell is going to come McDonald's. out and he's going to try to yeah. use that height. He's going, to be, he's going to try to use the jab. He's going to try to keep his distance for a first maybe two, three rounds, but then it's going to start, it's going to, it's going to revert to his normal style, which is be in the pocket. Yeah. McDonald uh, looked, you know, a little, little gaunt on the scales there. Uh, came in under, came, showed up late, looked a little bit like a kind of an ashy Abe Lincoln without the beard tomorrow. He'll rehydrate to kind of look like a, a very small Paul Ryan. Uh, but I think uh, Inoue is going to get on the inside, uh, work that body, like you said, and make it pay, uh, for, for the, that, I think that was a tell 
uh, what happened with the weigh-in. So uh, you got to go to a guy like that's body. He's not going to uh, feel all the way right when he rehydrates. Uh, so I got the monster. Uh, so we got like you know less than a minute here to to make our picks, and uh, I'll take uh, Ankahas and uh, uh, Khalid Yafai as well. But uh, I'll take all the same picks you did. Uh, I'm going with the chalk this week. Yeah, no the jab is is the one thing. Somebody's got to establish a jab, and Jamie's got to establish his. How long? Does he establish establish it and keeps uh, keeps it up? That's going to be the telling of the whole fight. If he can keep up the jab, he may get away with a with a unanimous decision or a split decision. But if he can't and he allows the monster to kind of close that distance and violate his privacy, <laughs> it's going to be over for him. Anyways, folks, thanks again. Um, tune in next week here on Leaving Ring. This is your host Dave Duenas and my co-host Mr. Gable Montoya. Like always, enjoy your weekend. Uh, Don't drink and drive because you will spill your beer. Peace.